The UK's Royal Navy sent one of their warships into the Black Sea, and it was doing a mission between Ukraine and Georgia. It traveled along the coast of Crimea, which Russia is claiming as its own. So Russia fired warning shots and actually began dropping bombs. Now, UK den- the UK den- denies this. They said there was no warning shots, but a journalist for the BBC said he did hear shots fired. The UK is now claiming those were just Russian drills off in the distance. Russia came back and said, if you come again, we will bomb you this time. And the UK's response is, we do not recognize your claims over Crimea, and we are absolutely going to be sending more warships along this route. So we'll see in this game of chicken who backs down first. But Russia has actually said that in conventional warfare, nuclear retaliation is on the table. And China has even said that they will join Russia in a counterattack just for U.S. provocations. Now, maybe this is all just uh, saber rattling because certainly things like this have happened before, but it does make me worried considering the other news where the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff came out and was like, well, what's wrong with being woke? You know, I white rage. I got to understand that it caused the, the riots on January 6th. And I'm like, oh, geez, are we capable of defending ourselves? Because it's not just about international conflict. The fourth turning suggests we're in a crisis period and very well may be domestic crisis. It could very well be a Great Depression or some kind of civil conflict. And seeing all this news about BlackRock buying up homes, news stories popping up saying millennials shouldn't buy property. Millennials who are already massively in debt with student loans, now they'll be in debt and they won't own anything. Yeah, it seems like we are headed towards very, I don't know, dystopian future where the millennial generation and those younger will just be, I don't know, serfs in some kind of neo-feudalist system. So joining us to talk about the war on small business, we have recovering investment banker and author Carol Roth. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? Pretty good. <laughs> how are you? Good. I'm glad you used the recovering investment banker instead of former because it is sort of this 12-step program and I'm permanently <laughs> stuck on step 11. Which, which one is step 11? <laughs> <laughs> Panic. Oh, okay. Well, it, it is kind of creepy what we're seeing with the, the, the way the Fed works, especially when it, when it comes to these, these, uh, these houses and the BlackRock store that's been popping up. The Fed's yeah. basically just giving them money. They buy it. it it's, it's no risk to them. Yet regular working class people and millennials have no no way to outbid free money from one of these massive firms. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you have central planning and, and central banking gone awry. I mean, basically, the Fed has disrupted risk in the market. They have said, if you put your money at risk, you know, you get nothing. And so people have to take on riskier and riskier bets. And so you've got two different things going on here. You've got these big firms that have tons of capital that they need to deploy and earn a return on uh, for their investors. They're going out and they're trying to find investments and they can't find investments to get those yields. So now they're turning to the housing market. At the same time, you've got retirees and savers and Main Street who are just trying to earn a, a return on the, the small amount of money that they have, also trying to, to chase yield. And basically, they're saying, well, if you put it in the bank, we're just going to give you almost nothing for it. And then we're going to turn around and lend it to BlackRock so that they can go buy yeah. these houses. And it's basically free money for BlackRock. And it, it is a selling out of Main Street to Wall Street. This is all part of the biggest transfer of wealth in the history of the world throughout the pandemic. And you wrote a book about it, so we'll we'll definitely talk yeah. about that. Right on. We got to, we got Ian. Hello, Tim. Hi. Yeah. Uh, th- hello, Carol. Thanks Hi. For that. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to find out what what your what your motive was to get out of the banking industry. This is really interesting. So I'm glad you're here. 
And I am here in the corner as well. I love all of my lady guests. Each one of them is kind of a role model for me in different ways. So I'm really excited about tonight's conversation. And, and, so and, knowledgeable. And, and not to like, you know, self-identify here, but I'm often known as like a dude in a dress. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, like I'll, I'll claim the ladies, but I'll, you know, I'll claim whatever Let's as well. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get started, head over to timcast.com and become a member. We're going to have a bonus podcast episode coming up around 11 p.m. We do this so that there's a lot of things we can't say on YouTube. So we have to choose our battles instead of just saying, you know, we'll, we'll shut down the YouTube and we'll never speak again because we say one wrong thing. You do access us. We are trying to build out timcast.com to do more than just be a YouTube channel. We got to do this. We got to build culture. We have to bring on awesome journalists. So we have Cassandra Fairbanks, who's incredible. And she's writing articles for us. Now we have a few more journalists that are on their way to join the team. And we actually hired an unsolved mysteries writer. Get this. I don't know if I should say this. I'm going to say it anyway. We're actually now in the very preliminary stage of looking into lost Confederate gold in the South. Wow. I got got an email from someone and they were like, we believe we know where this lost Confederate gold is hidden, but they've never had the resources, I guess, to actually, it's it's a protected area. So you can't dig. So they need like very expensive equipment. And I was like, at the very least, we'll investigate the story of the lost Confederate gold. This isn't going to be like El Capone's tomb, is this? Because I'm from Chicago. So you remember when Geraldo Rivera did like the the 20-hour special and then they opened it up and there was nothing in there? Very well, maybe. (laughs) The the, the goal for this kind of uh, content that we're producing is not necessarily to be groundbreaking news and historical documentation, but literally to tell the story of what happened with this Confederate gold, why it went missing, why people think it's there. And then who knows, maybe we'll find it or something. And then a museum will get it. I have no, I really don't think so. Is Geraldo going to be hosting? No, <laughs> I, no I, I've, I've met Geraldo a couple times. You know, he's all right, but I'm not the biggest fan. You know, he's I remember, whatever. didn't he get punched in the face in the 80s or something? <laughs> he also sent like those like half naked selfies like around oh, Twitter yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I like him. Any, I like anyway, him. anyway we, got a, we, got, we got a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of stuff going on. So we've got to, obviously the vlog. Um, we, um, we're going to be ramping up production on that and that's just going to be fun, silly, uh, culture building. So, uh, we're going to be doing this podcast on paranormal mysteries and I think we actually have put together the team to start producing it. So it's going to be really amazing. It's going to be like feature episodes with sound effects and creepy wow. noises and stuff. And, uh, yeah, someone emailed me saying, I think I know where the lost Confederate gold is. And I was like, Oh, hey, should we write about this? This sounds really yes. fascinating. And so we'll definitely do that. So go to timcast.com because aside from that, we are going to have on the ground reporters, which is the next phase. It's, 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 it's not as easy as it sounds. Just hire someone and send them to go out and do this stuff. But, um, it's not that hard. We just got to find the right people, people we trust who will do a good job. So we'll be doing that as well. So again, timcast.com, that bonus episode will be up around 11. Let's read this first story. We're going to talk about this year war from nine news, Australia, UK plans to sail through Crimean waters again as Russia threatens to bomb on target. Now this is, uh, all basically because Russia sees Crimea, and I'll try and very, very simplify everything for those that aren't familiar with the full story. Ukraine seems to be going the way of NATO. This was several years ago, and that meant Russia was going to lose its only warm water port in the Black Sea, which is Crimea. So they moved in and claimed the people of Crimea voted to join Russia. Well, apparently the people of Ukraine don't believe that's the case. And I know a lot of people in Ukraine and I know people who have family and friends in Crimea who say it's also not the case they want to join Russia. There's not much you can do when you're being occupied by a military and they have no way to defend themselves. Well, now you have the UK who doesn't recognize this running along the coastline and Russia is basically dropping bombs and firing warning shots and threatening, we will bomb you if this is the case. So 
Let me just read a little bit. They say Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine after a military intervention in the region in 2014. Russia said the UK's HMS Defender went three kilometers inside what described as its territory off of Cape, what does it say, Filent in Crimea. Just before noon on Wednesday, a nation's territorial waters extend 12 nautical miles off from its coastline. Any foreign warship going past that limit would need permission of the country to do so, with a few exceptions. Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Defense Secretary Ben Wallace both backed the assertion, we don't recognize the Russian annexation of Crimea. It was illegal. These are Ukrainian waters, and it was entirely right to use them to go from A to B. He denied that UK-Russian relations were at historic low, noting that I can remember times in my own lifetime when things have been far worse. The important point is that we don't recognize the Russian annexation of Crimea. This part of sovereign, this is part of sovereign Ukrainian territory, Mr. Johnson told reporters on Thursday during a visit to an army barracks in England. This is a game of chicken. You know, who, who do you think's got the, the, the cojones to, to make that move. Well, speaking of the cojones, like, where did the UK get the cojones right. from? Like, <laughs> like the fact oh. that they're like, of all the things that they have going on in the UK with Brexit and, and, and trying to sort out their economy, like, where are they, like, peacocking around? Like, how did, how did they come to the table with this? Actually, it's kind of a sad thing to think about. Because I, I did this thread on the Founding Fathers uh, earlier, how I, I was like, that this, the people who signed the Declaration of Independence knew that they were declaring war on the most powerful yeah. military the world had ever seen. And they thought they were going to lose. Many, many did. And it was, some say, it was only because of French intervention that we actually were able to win. The French, of course, had an interest in defeating the British. Uh, it's funny that that narrative of the British being so powerful, and now it's like, wow, who, where did Britain get the balls to go up against <laughs> Russia? <laughs> Oh man! But, ser- but what? But seriously, like, 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 what do they get out of this Ukrainian situation, and why are they? I mean, they know they don't have a strong ally in the U.S. anymore in terms of being able to support. So, like, why are they out there? Like, we're gonna be, out, you know, going up against Russia, and Russia's like, we must break you. Like, how did how did that sort of all? Play I don't know. Out? You know, it's interesting because the the big narrative for a long time was that. Ukraine was, had, there's this natural gas monopoly through the Gazprom, you know, company, Russia, and it's running through Ukraine. So the U.S. wanted the Qatar Turkey pipeline to go up through Syria and Turkey and then into the, you know, into um, the EU to offset their monopoly and lower prices. But Syria said no, and then war breaks out and it's all chaos and conflict. And then Joe Biden's like, I'm going to improve this, uh, was it Nord Stream 2, where they're building another pipeline. And Biden's like, we're going to allow this. So it's really confusing to me when you're, when you're trying to follow through this, uh, this history and the news about why we're currently entering this level of conflict. I mean, obviously we are allies with the UK and this is a lot, a lot about NATO, but why allow Russia to build another pipeline through, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's like just north of Europe along the, along the coast. Why allow that? But then taunt them and play these games and be upset about Ukraine. It, it seems Something's broken I, I, right now. I think you know? they're trying to frame it as if we did nothing wrong and we were we got attacked, so we're the ones that are they're just in the situation. Because, I mean, but the the truth is, it's moronic to poke the beast. Regardless, I I don't know, man. History will tell. You know. And I'm a money person, so I'm like trying to follow the pipeline and follow the money and going, okay, like who's benefiting where and where are the dollars flowing? Because at the end of the day, that on one side or the other, that's what this has got to be all about. Either it's about somebody getting money or someone trying to bleed more money out of the U.S. I think, I think the interest in this, the story may just be saber rattling. There, there have been like Russian flybys before. There have been like Russia, you know, their, their planes entering like U.S. airspace or something. Kim like Jong-un that. got too, too much, uh, 
too much journalistic space for all of his little things, so they yeah. had to kind of step up and go, no, we're bad guys too. Don't forget about us. But th- these things happen, and usually, like, we don't see much. So I- I'm wondering if it's people are interested in this simply because of the idea of, like, the fourth turning. I mean, I'll say this is one of the reasons I'm interested in, see- in-, in seeing this news, because it sounds like Ru- the UK and Russia are playing a game of chicken. And, of course, if that comes to, to blows, we're involved. Um, there's a fear that we're in this crisis period where there's going to be a major war. China, of course, is saying we'll work with Russia to counterattack. So, you know, I, I can't remember. Was it Bannon who was talking about this? They were saying that, you know, Russia should not be aligned with China, but we've effectively mm-hmm. forced that on them, especially when the Democratic Party has been repeatedly just bash Russia bash, bashing nonstop. So Russia's, you know, pushed back saying, OK, fine, it's us against you. Now they work with China. But again, this could just be words. It could be meaningless. Russia could just be shaking their fist from the shoreline while the UK passes by and nothing ever happens. But it's a great, it's a great way to put the US in a, a financial and a national pickle, isn't it? Especially when you don't have sort of strength, um, at the top leadership. Because what, what is it that we can't afford more than anything else? It's certainly another war. And so from a dollar standpoint, as well from a national standpoint, um, the split in terms of people who would be for and against that, you know, we don't need that right now. And certainly if you're savvy, if you're in, in Russia and you're in China, you're aware that we don't need that right now. There, there's also wokeness, right? This whole critical race theory battle and its subsets tearing at the core of the United States. And now we see the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff just being like outright like, what's wrong with being woke? I take offense to that. I want to understand white rage. And it's like, oh, geez, I can only imagine that Russia and China are well aware of the rift in the U.S. And this is what worries me. If the U.K. gets bold and says, we're going to drive our boats by, Russia might be like, hey, if we bomb them right now, they can't do anything about it. The U.S. is fractured. Their military's gone woke. So is that, I don't know, what do you think? Are we at, is that, is that a big risk or am I overthinking things? No, I think it's a, it's a huge risk. And I think we need to be talking to our, our little friends in Britain and telling them to settle down a little bit. Because like you said, it's, it's sort of moral hazard, right? They're the ones who are going to, to poke the beast, as you said, but they aren't the ones that are going to suffer most of the repercussions. It's going to fall back on us. So, you know, maybe, maybe they might just want to slow their roll a little bit. That scares me though. Yeah. Cause you know, we yeah. saw, we saw China saying that the U.S. is not in a position of strength. If the reality is we do have to be like, UK, please don't don't bother Crimea. We know Russia stole it, but we can't do anything about it. Now is not a good time. Maybe come back to us in a couple of years. Man, I feel like I feel like the U.S. is in trouble. The whole whole world is in trouble. It's a house of cards. And if if there's a global war, it's I mean, that's could set us back 10,000 years. I mean, did you you see what China was saying about covid and lab leak? They were like, if you investigate the origins (laughs) We need, it was, it was Chinese state media speaking to themselves saying we need to up production of nuclear weapons to send a shiver down the spines of the American elites. <laughs> so you got like r- nuclear sable writing. Russia apparently they issued a statement saying that uh, their official response to any war, including conventional warfare, like if some missiles go flying, they'll launch nukes. Now will they really? I don't think so. They're like, we'll respond to aggression, but we will use nukes. I think a lot of this could just be like fist shaking from the shoreline. You yeah. know, the, T- the, the, testing the waters. That could be it too. 
Yeah, but maybe the UK warship is just sailing by and then Russia's like, UK, and that's all that really happens, you know? Yeah, I, I wonder if there's a, a crypto tie-in here as we've, we've kind of offline talked about, you know, China's role in, in crypto and digital currency, and obviously they're trying to become the world's reserve currency, and what a better way to, you know, continue the, the great work that the Federal Reserve has done in devaluing the dollar <laughs> than trying to bring us into another war that we need to print a bunch of money for that we can't afford you know not to like throw out random conspiracy theories here but just again trying to kind of connect things that potentially could happen there could be a tie-in with that well i think i think it all is there's i mean first of all we probably don't even realize how much is connected to all of this yeah we might be looking over here at this you know uk the the hms defender right and we're like wow what a story and we might not even know that an actual, you know, conflict with actual live fire happens somewhere else. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the news that comes out, for instance, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which brought us into uh, Vietnam. We didn't actually know the full details for decades. We just oh, got some reports also, later on. I just found out the USS Maine was like a false flag that got us involved in the Spanish-American War mm-hmm. to liberate Cuba, liberate yeah. from uh, the Spanish Empire. It was just, it blew up. No one knew why. And then William Randolph Hearst started printing articles that were like, remember the main, remember the main. And everyone went to war with Cuba, with, with, uh, okay. So if we're talking about like things that are distractions, so then we had all of these cyber attacks that happened in the U.S. on the pipeline, on the meat plants and stuff. And it's sort of planting the seeds. Oh, Russia's doing these things. Russia's doing these things. Now we've got this conflict with Russia. So yeah. We we actually have this. We actually have this story. This is a big story right now. Um, the Daily Mail reports National Guard is preparing for a major cyber attack that would bring down utilities across the U.S. Troops tackle massive simulated breach during two-week training exercise after hack of Colonial Pipeline brought nation's fuel supply to its knees. All right, I I, I think they're taking it seriously. I'm worried that they're taking it seriously way too late. But yeah, um, was this on the list? Was this on the list of the the critical infrastructure that you're not that our playbook of here's the things that you should attack? Thank was, you very much. That was one of the stupid. I, I can't believe that. What was it exactly? Can, Biden said something to Putin, right? That's what this is. <laughs> so he gave he gave a list uh. of like here are our most critical infrastructure things. Here's off limits. Here's what you can't attack. So implicitly, <laughs> he's saying like it's okay if you attack other things, just don't attack this. And then also, he's basically saying here are our most important things. So if you are a bad nefarious guy, here are the things that you want to. I mean, just the the, <sighs> the strategy behind that, like. Who's advising on that? Because we know it's it's probably not coming from Joe Biden, right? So who's the genius who came up with the list of the infrastructure? And what's that on the list? I can only hope that whoever advised him says, here's the 16 things we really don't care about. Tell him we care about it so that he goes after that. I see. 4D <laughs> chess. Right. Like, right, like right. small businesses. You could totally take out Main Street. We don't, we don't oh, care yeah, about that. We don't that. care about that. Yeah. No, but I, 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 I think the simple solution, one that makes the least amount of assumptions, Joe Biden was like, oh, Russia better not attack the things we actually need. Hey, hey, Putin, I'm warning you. Don't don't attack these. Don't attack these. You know what I'm saying? And here's the list. It's, it's the playground. It's like the playground bully. It's like, OK, OK, you can you can beat me up, but don't break my glasses because my mom's going to be <laughs> mad and she's going to ground me. She'll ground you when you get beat up. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe that story. Right. So it's like they're doing war games now. It's like it's like negative one D chess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really is. It's like it's like you're playing checkers with somebody. Right. But Joe it. Biden's going like, "Come on, come on, man! I don't know how to move. I don't even know the rules." And you're like, "Joe, Joe, it's like you just move diagonally. It's monopoly. You just buy boardwalk, put some houses on it." You know, 
I guess what's uh, what's what's crazy about this is uh, Daily Mail has been saying Russia did all of these hacks. Like that's been the media narrative the whole time. So when Colonial Pipeline got hit by these hackers, Daily Mail just kept saying Russian hack on on U.S. Russian hack on U.S. And I'm like, none of that's confirmed. Even Biden said we don't know for sure. But there were elements of the media saying it was a Russian attack or Russian attributed or Russian associated. And and you know what it feels like? It's like we're back on schedule because. Uh, before Donald Trump got in office, this was everything that was happening. You know, Russia annexed Crimea. Then the, the U.S. And, and, and NATO and Western allies were getting involved in Ukraine. There was separatist conflict. And then Trump gets in and all of a sudden this fades away. Well, I'll tell you something else that was interesting. All of the things that were involved were things that were sort of progressive agenda items that they wanted to crack down on. So you had a pipeline, which obviously we know that the, the natural gas issue is out there. We had meat, which was another issue. And then it was you were use, using crypto to pay for this. And we know that the U.S. government's really uncomfortable. So the fact that all sort of elements of the story all revolved around things that the government you know, doesn't really have on their agenda is sort of an interesting thing for me as well. Did you hear that there was gas, there, there are gas stations out of gas in Colorado this past uh, week or so? So there's a, there's an interesting story behind um, part of the, the disruption, and that's with the government, you know, deciding winners and losers and, and sort of interfering in the economy. There are not enough drivers able to drive the tanker trucks. And so it's now taking an extra couple of days to get the gas to the gas stations. And the people who used to be the tanker truck drivers, you know, they went to work for Amazon or they found other jobs or they're staying home or whatnot. You can't just pull a random person off the street and say, go drive a tanker truck, right? That's a specialized thing. So that's part of this supply chain disruption that supposedly nobody expected. We've had a lot of people super chat us saying that's not the case that, you know, there are people like I'm a trucker. There's no shortage. This is not true. Now I can't, you know, verify a, a super chat, but I'm, 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 I, I've gotten emails from people saying they're truckers and it's not the case. The challenge is if the media says it and we all believe it, but then people who are like, Hey, I'm a trucker. That's not true. It's like, who do you trust? Do you trust the media? I'm like, that's, that's a tough no. call. No, right, I don't. Right. <laughs> I can't trust any of it. I mean, it's anecdotal at best. If someone super chats and they're like, Hey, it worked. I saw it, so it's real everywhere. Like I saw it yeah. here, so everywhere. Right, exactly. It, it may be in their particular area or their particular company as you, well. You mentioned in the previous segment how there's like maybe a tie-in with China's move against crypto and stuff, and we we have talked about all of the moves made during the pandemic and its potential relationship to a coming war. So a few things I've said is not to imply a conspiracy. I'm not saying that I'm saying how fortuitous for the United States based on what happened. So you have decentralization for major cities. If a city gets nuked, well, half a million people leave New York, and many of these people are leaders in industry or high-ranking individuals in certain companies, and they're working from home in different areas. So now it's harder to to take out our economy because you can't just go after one city. You still can't. You kind of can. And then you, you look at what's going on with like gas uh, stations having limited fuel. A lot of it feels like there's something happening behind the scenes we don't know about. We don't have a very strong journalistic apparatus in this country to inform us about what's going on. And maybe the picture is just too big at this point for any one organization or individual to see. But I look at all this and I'm wondering if like, look, our, our critical infra- infrastructure gets attacked. That's oil pipelines and it's uh, meat production, which was like, I think a fifth of all meat production. Yeah. Then I saw the story about a gas shortage in Colorado and I'm like, now explain to me how that happens. They're like, oh, it's a trucker shortage. Then I hear from people who are like, bro, I'm a trucker. There's no shortage. Then where's the gas and who do I trust? 
Well, the media has not been, you know, faithful, or I should say honest to the American people. I honestly don't know. Now you look at what's happening with, you know, Crimea and the UK. You look at China and Taiwan sending 28 planes in the Taiwanese defense zone. And I'm like, is it possible that the things we're seeing with like gas knocking at gas stations, critical, uh, critical infrastructure being attacked and, uh, you know, just these, these international conflicts that we are dangerously close to a real conflict and both the, you know, the US as well as Russia, China are shoring up their defenses, stockpiling, preparing or something like that. I mean, I never take anything off the table. I leave all options open. I think that there's, um, you know, some other central planning issues that are going on here, which we'll definitely get into. But I, I wouldn't take that off the table. I mean, based on history and based on what we know about truthfulness coming out of governments, central planning, and like you said, the, the sort of media or the, the corporate press complicity in, in terms of all of this. I, I, I wouldn't take it off the table. I think when you talk about central planning, it makes me think of the Swiss Bank, the Bank of International Settlements we mentioned earlier a little bit. That, that is like a global central financial authority that is trying, like, using, you know, these Lockheed Martin and these big biz- arms dealers to, like, play chess with all these countries. And, and they're using our military as pawns against each other. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I you know, I tend to be a little bit more domestic focused, and we certainly have um, at least today, you know, most of the wealth in the world. And I kind of feel like the central planners in our country, um, like most central planners, think that they know better than they actually do. I don't know that I buy the global conspiracy because I feel like if you have that central power, like, why are you sharing it with these other guys over there? I mean, we know that cartelization never works. Somebody always breaks off. And so I feel like, like we're, we're probably the leaders of that. So if there's something that's going on, it's probably starting with us because I mean, we've got the financial center. We've got the, the wealth. We've got the innovation. So the idea that there's some other puppet master in Switzerland, not to say that they're not doing things in, in Europe with the ECB and whatnot, but that they're actually controlling the U.S. narrative, uh, unless they're just smarter than our central planners, which is, I mean, Anybody could pick five people out of the phone book and there's <laughs> central planners. Um, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting discussion. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, you know, the big bank conspiracies or anything like that. I certainly think we have a problem with the Fed. Yeah, we have a big bank conspiracy you know, with the Federal Reserve here in the United States. You know, you know, what's funny is like it, it is a conspiracy, isn't it? You know, I, I, the definition of conspiracy, a group of people doing some committing some amoral, unethical or criminal act in secret. I mean, that was literally the founding of the Fed. I actually talk about it in the book. Um, the, the founding of the Fed, that the idea that it was decentralized, this cloak of decentralization, uh, which I source back if you want to read like deep dive on this. It's a book called The, uh, the Case Against the Fed by Dr. Murray Roth- Rothbard, who's a now deceased economist who's great. Uh, but like the, the way that they founded the Fed was completely to have this uh, kind of bait and switch feel on the American public. So, oh, no, we're decentralized. We're not part of the government. But when you think about the Fed, so, I mean, this is really messed up. So it's owned by its its member banks. But if it makes a profit, that goes back to the U.S. Treasury, not to its owners. It gets its mandate from Congress, but Congress doesn't have any ability to know or audit what's actually going on. So is it part of the government? Is it decentralized? The way that it's described, is it sort of a, a big bank government cartel? Yeah, and they call it federal. <laughs> Give right. me control of a nation's currency, and I care not who makes its laws. Rothschild. Right. Yeah, right. was that was yep. that Nathaniel Amschel Rothschild? Amschel. 
I just saw that quote earlier today. Yeah. Uh, Bavarian. Was Amschel the Bavarian banker? I mean, he's like the guy that founded the central bank, basically. And then he had three kids. I think it was Amschel. He had three kids. One went to England, one went to France, and one went somewhere else. And it was the one in England that really created this global banking influence. Who, yeah. who, which which founding father was it who said that a, a centralized banking is more powerful than any standing army? Jefferson. Was it Jefferson? Yeah. Man, those guys were smart, weren't they? They understood. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they warned against this, and, and they had tried to do these central banking structures before landing on the Fed and national banking structures, and they had all failed. And so this was kind of like, okay, let's, let's rejigger it. And the funny part was that the national bank that they had put in place that was put in place by these bankers like the the Morgans and you know these these kind of financiers they felt like they didn't have enough control even though they were the ones who were, had structured it and so that's why they came up with this concept of what the fed is today and by the way so it started out with sort of these nefarious intentions and has gone completely off the rails since then are you familiar with the great reset so I, I'm a, like kind of macro level, like I haven't dug into each of it, but certainly on a, a macro you, you, level. You just have this World Economic Forum thing about yeah. how there's going to be a global reset of capitalism for stakeholder capitalism, and it's very woke. And we start seeing these things happen in the United States with small businesses. Yeah. A lot of what I think you, you cover, that's why I ask, because a lot of people have suggested that the moves the government was making, whether intentional or not, greatly benefited this this idea of a great reset. So you, yeah, you wrote a book about uh, the war on small businesses. Tell me what the government did and, and, and what happened to these small businesses throughout the past year. Yeah, so war on small business. So this is the most underreported, infuriating story of the last 12 to 15 months. And really, if you want to talk about it, going back decades. But really, in the last 12 to 15 months, you had a government deciding who was essential and who was non-essential who is going to thrive and who is going to fight to survive. And this was not based on data. This was not based on science. This was based on political clout and connections. And what that did, and we talked a little bit about it, is it enabled the greatest wealth transfer that we've ever seen in history and the greatest power transfer. You had seven technology companies in 2020 that gained collectively $3.4 trillion in value in seven companies at the same time that you had Main Street businesses. By June of 2020, Hamilton Project said 400,000 of them had closed permanently, millions more struggling to survive. Oh, and by the way, it was a record year for initial public offerings. It was a record year for um, SPACs, which are special purpose acquisition companies, which are highly speculative investment vehicles that only pop up in very frothy environments where people are trying to, to chase yields. And, you know, again, there's this just giant disconnect spenders or savers and retirees, you know, all getting thrown under the bus. And nobody wants to talk about this. Nobody wants to talk about this battle that's going on and that has been sort of laid out for us um, over the last couple of decades as we've moved away from capitalism to more more towards central planning. And then the worst part about the whole thing is that capitalism is the one that's getting blamed for it, even though it was done by government mandates. And so that's why, uh, as as I was approached to kind of do a, an economic debrief of on what was happening during the pandemic, that the small business story just you know had that line. It was like so important, but it was also just important in terms of creating that through line between decentralization 
and central planning because that's what so many of us are, are fighting for. If you're, if it's not small business, it's crypto, it's the gig economy, it's the creator economy. You know, all of these are trying to, to go, you know, in a decentralized manner to, to fight back and have those free market tenants against this consolidated power. And so it's really important for us to all be aligned on that. I want, I want to ask you about something that Biden said, and uh, he, he said it in a really weird way. But OK, uh, we got the story. Pay them more. Bizarre moment. Biden whispers and blames employers low wages for worker shortages, then insists inflation will only be temporary. So there's, there's two things here. This idea that the reason companies are struggling to find people to work for them is that they're not paying well enough. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. But we also know that the CDC just extended the eviction moratorium, which is, in, in essence, free money for a lot of people. There's also the extended unemployment benefits, which is literally free money for a lot of people. Not that I'm, I'm suggesting these people don't need that money, but it certainly creates an economic pressure where people are less inclined to work or go seek out work. And so Biden is making the, the accusation that it's the, it's, the, it's the small business's fault or companies in general for not paying more. I, don't. I mean, so so basically, so th- this is this is all part of the plan, and, and I'll just ask you to to keep this in the back of your mind as we talk about this. Like, if you were trying to kill small businesses, if you were trying to only have a handful of big businesses, and you were trying to get people more dependent on the government through UBI, those kinds of things, would you do anything different than what played out the last twelve to fifteen months without being just a hundred percent obvious? Um, so yeah, I mean, you have the government now in competition with the businesses for employees and I'm all for paying employees as much as possible. I think it's a good business practice. I think that you retain better employees and more loyal, but you don't want to legislate that because then you've got 16 year olds who are holding up a sign that says, come see the sandwich shop. We're getting paid $30 an hour when you could just stick that, you know, in the side of the road. Um, there's an economic reason behind it. So the fact that we have 9.3 million jobs that we can't fill is because central planners didn't want you to be able to fill them. And they wanted people to be conditioned to depend on the government. But we know that the only people who've ever gotten wealthy being on the government dole are politicians. Nobody ever gets wealthy on that, on it, the government dole. It feels to me like this is all part of the same exact uh, problem. I'll, I'll call it a problem, right? So you had the, the government shuts down in, in a variety of fashions, different governments, different jurisdictions, shut down small business. Walmart, Target, big box stores, Amazon, they're all open. So they made, what, what, how many, what was the number? Was it three trillion? So it, it wasn't necessarily, it was, there were seven tech companies. So, you know, Google, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, whatever it was. $3.4 trillion in value. Two tiers to that. So like you said, they were open for business. So the small businesses that couldn't be open for businesses saw their customers moving to these big companies and the dollars going that way. And then you had the Federal Reserve pumping in money to support the stock market. So the stock prices increased. So the value of those companies increased as well. So it was done on two levels. Now think about the next circumstance created by the government. 
not only are small businesses competing with the government because they're paying people, but all of the money, I should say most of the money last year went to these big, massive box stores. So who can afford to pay more? When Joe Biden says, pay them more. Okay, well, Amazon's like, you know, we did have, you know, massive profits last year. All right, we'll increase wages that can outcompete the government. But that mom and pop coffee shop, they can't just manifest money out of nowhere. They well, can't compete. And there's, there's no surprise that, you know, prior to this, you had saw, you'd seen uh, Amazon and some of the other big companies start pushing for a higher mandated minimum wage. And the reason why they started pushing for a higher mandated minimum wage, because they know it's anti-competitive and they know it would drive some of the smaller players out of business. And so basically that's what's happening on a de facto basis here is they're trying to end around instead of legislating it, they're trying to do it by we're going to interfere in the market. We're going to make it really difficult um, for people to want to go back to work. We're going to compensate them for staying home. And then we're going to force these businesses who are have been struggling. They, they were shut down by government mandate. They were not appropriately compensated for giving up their property for the public good under eminent domain concepts under the Constitution. Then you just get back. You've, you've, you've hung on this whole time and you can't find anybody to work. And And, and by the way, it's not even just low wages. I've talked to small businesses all over this country. They're paying higher wages. They're offering bonuses. Many of them can't even get people to apply. So it's not even just like, oh, well, you need to raise the wage a couple dollars because they've done that and they still can't get people back. Some have argued that this the, the problem here is fulfillment. You know, with, with last year, people giving, being given the opportunity not to say flip burgers, which I don't think, I don't think there's any lack of dignity in being a burger flipper. People love burgers. But a lot of people, they want more fulfilling work. And so the argument is they're just choosing to avoid Burger King or McDonald's or even working well, at a coffee shop. So, so <laughs> yes and no. So I do think there are a lot of people who had the opportunity for once to pause and reflect and actually make some decisions, which I think is, if there's any silver lining, maybe that's one of them. Uh, but if that were the case, we wouldn't have 9.3 million jobs unfilled. You, you would have the ones at the higher levels getting filled and then these other right. ones not being filled. And that's not what the data is coming back and telling us. Nobody can find the jobs. And it's not just the burger flipper jobs. It's a lot of mid-tier and, and other jobs as well. And then the, the, the interesting part, if you look at kind of the data around wages, you're going to see, oh, well, wages really haven't increased. But the hidden sort of data behind that is that a lot of boomers took the opportunity to, to retire and to opt out of the workforce. So you have people who are making high five and six um, figure salaries who said, you know what, I'm going to retire. So those wages have now come out. And when you're computing the average, obviously that brings the average down. So even at, if you look at the low end, those have gone up enormously. But if you look at it as just one giant pie, it looks like, oh, well, wages haven't moved at all. Another another component, too, is um – these are the jobs we can see when we when we see Burger King putting up a sign saying $500 sign-on bonus or $1,000. Right. What people don't realize is that sourcing raw materials and even manufacturing jobs, a lot of these a lot of these companies that you don't know even exist are struggling to find people. Uh, and then the inflation pieces you talked you you had uh, right 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 had led, led in with so that you have 
the problem with not being able to find people, which is making it more more costly, but then trying to get the raw materials and everything kind of running through the, the supply chain and then obviously just having just an enormous amount of, of money supply out there, all of these things driving up prices. So again, if you're the small business who can't find somebody to work and you've hung on to survive, you also, if you're trying to buy chicken because you make chicken wings, uh, we saw, you know, was it Buffalo Wild Wings is now doing like the thighs because they can't get the wings anymore. Really? Yeah, I don't know if it's that particular brand. One of the major brands we, has changed to thighs because they can't get the wings anymore. We we here at Timcast love us some B dubs. We do. We had an argument. Ian was right. Yeah. All the so is, it, so is this is this personally devastating news yes. for you? Then I'm gonna flip this whole table over. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a lot laughs> there, and this is how this affects your life, people. Right. The war on small business, right here. <laughs> but actually, it may be the most important thing. No, no joke. I mean, no. look. Going out to the bar, watching a game, Man. having wings and rings and whatever yeah. else, you can't get that. I tell you. That's when people go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hold on. You know, if, when, when people hear, like, it's hard to get a computer chip so computers are more expensive, they might go, I don't know. Actually, there was a, a survey done. They asked people which the, about certain products and whether or not right. the cost had increased. And airplane tickets and com- electronics, people were unsure of and didn't know. But chicken wings and gas were way up, and right. they knew it. And bacon, too. So this is interesting. I think of all of the things that can be taken away because of government failures that impact small businesses, they really have to be careful because if they start affecting Bacon the, supply, that would be, yeah, tragic. It, it Right. It is silly to think, like, haha, bacon. But no, I mean, people wake up and have eggs and bacon. People go to McDonald's and get sausage, egg, and bacon. People eat these things. They enjoy them things. The reason it's a joke is because we know that people really love this stuff. If they can't find it, they start asking questions. People start getting mad. And that's when you got to get worried if you're the government. Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's about so much more than that. I mean, it really is about our economic freedom. I mean, I think people, when they think about business and you say, like, how many big businesses are out there? And I, I do this with people all the time. Like, I'll hear, like, oh, like, I think there's, like, probably, like, a million. And it's like, no, there's 5,000-ish publicly traded companies in the U.S. And there's, like, another five to 7,000, maybe maybe up to 10,000. There's like between 10 and 15,000 big businesses in the U.S. There before COVID was 30.2 million small businesses that account for half the GDP and about half the employment. So when we talk about this, I think people feel like this is like a niche issue that doesn't really affect. This is a half the economy. And if you have to understand sort of the, the thought process behind this, that if you are the government and you're trying to usurp power, which they have done in terms of how much they're spending, laws, you know, purview, everything else, uh, if you're trying to deal with people, you're trying to get reelected, you're trying to get campaign funds, you're trying to push legislation through, whatever it is, what is easier to do? Like get like 10,000 big businesses behind you or 30.2 million small businesses behind you? This is a nuisance. We heard the banks were too big to fail. They did the, they did awful things that ended up screwing up the economy for all of our lives and they got a bailout. Yet they closed small business by mandate and they got crumbs. Because not only are they too small to matter, but they are too hard to control. Mm. And that is the intention here. Like, you cannot walk away from this. You cannot go through this and think it's not uh, not intentional. And, and by the way, even if you don't, the outcome is still just as bad. But this is intentional. Is, is the intent to just steal wealth from 
middle class and working class people? It, it's to consolidate power by any means. The, 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 what happens to those people it doesn't matter because they're not in the club. If you're not in the club, you don't matter. You're just like you're just pawns in the in the game. And so they have seen that we have allowed them to consolidate more and more power. I mean, you have small businesses, and there are a couple of examples of small business owners, Attilis Jim, Shelley Luther, and, and her Salon Alamo that I talk about in the book, who said, no, you're not, you're not going to take my property. This is, you're infringing on my property rights, and you haven't compensated me for it. But a lot of people said, well, okay. There was something that happened to me that that uh, we we uh, you briefly mentioned hearing about before the show is it's that uh, I got denied a loan for a home, and that was shocking to me because look I'm not trying to be like a braggart. I, we have a successful company here, and I wanted to get a uh, to get to, to get a small house. It's, very, it's relatively small. And the bank said no, and they sent false credit information to me. So weird. It felt like I was just told you are not. Allowed. It was three months of runaround, constantly asking for new documents, and something weird happened. Maybe it was a bad company. That could be the case. But we are seeing this thing with BlackRock. These these firms that just get essentially free money from the Fed, and they can outbid any working class person to buy up this property. And we're watching them buy up property like crazy and then turn them into rental properties, where we're, we're going to end up having the, the, the millennial generation right now entering their 40s. Right, we're, we're old people at this point. They have kids. The kids are going off to college in some instances, but they're unable to own property, which means they're they're going to have less wealth to transfer to the next generation. They're not going to have something they control. Not only that, they're going to be beholden to student loan debt and to their landlords, which are going to be big firms. Yeah, and if you think about wealth creation, it's something that obviously I spend a lot of time talking about. The way that you create wealth is through equity. And when I say equity, I don't mean equity in the sort of critical race theory equity. I mean, in the financial terms of equity, having ownership in something. So ways that you create equity, you have equity by building a business. Good for you. American dream doing that. You may not sort of have the ability to do that, but you invest in the stock market and you participate in the equity increases of other businesses. Uh, maybe you work for a private company and you're able to get stock options. So you get to own a piece of the business that you're working for. You own a house and you get equity. Ownership is wealth creation. And so limiting those opportunities by government interference in the free market leads to less wealth for everyone. And that's the frustrating part for me. Um, you know, my background, we, we talked about being a recovering investment banker, but I, I'm the first person in my, my immediate family who graduated from college. My dad was an electrician. You know, his parents went through the Great Depression and were super poor and grew up on the west side of Chicago. That's where he grew up. And so he you know, came out of there and worked really hard and saved up a bunch of money and then sent me to school and couldn't afford it. So then I had to pay down my college loans and, and so on and so forth. But I've gotten to the point where I am today which nobody could believe because of this American dream, because of the system of capitalism. And I've watched it over the course of my career from whether it's interference in the stock market and you're seeing this in the, the ape community and the retail investors who are trying to fight back against, you know, the, the, the tilted playing field in the stock market. You're seeing this in small business versus big business. You're seeing us move away from capitalism. 
and we've exported it. We exported it to China to their benefit, and we've imported more central planning to our detriment, and that is affecting the wealth creation opportunities because with capitalism, the pie grows, and there's an abundance ability for anybody to participate in that. It's interesting. I mean, a lot of people talk about a communist takeover here in the United States or cultural Marxism. And then we think about the buying up of all these properties and how it will result in a generation, not probably not millennials, maybe not necessarily Gen Z, but certainly Gen Alpha is going to be a generation of renters. What happens when there's an economic crash and not a single individual, or I should say for the most part, 90% don't own the property and can't pay their rent. And then you get a massive government intervention to a big firm saying, we're going to bail you out in exchange for partial ownership. And now the government becomes one of the largest stakeholders in owning all of the buildings that people live in. It may not be communism, but you're certainly walking very close to the government owning where you live. Well, or potentially that you have you know, all of these dollars coming in from China, which we've seen happen as well. And you have people who Chinese, you know, Chinese people, not American Chinese people, but actual communist Chinese who are buying up properties as well. It's another possible way to, you know, infiltrate and take over the, the the country by taking over the wealth creation opportunities. Yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I have some articles I want to show you real quick. This one's from May 28th. Forbes. Realtors will hate me for this, but here's five reasons why you absolutely shouldn't buy a home right now. Here's another one. Millennial, nearly two thirds of millennials have home buyer regrets, new survey says. How about this one? Millennials who snapped up homes in the hot real estate market reveal their biggest regrets from unexpected costs to high mortgage payments. Op-ed, home prices are going through the roof. Millennials piling into the market is one big driver. Can we talk about the government inflation piece of this as well? Yeah. So this is really fa- fascinating. Uh, May report from the National Association of Home Builders said that government regulation adds $94,000 to the average price of a new home built. Jeez. Then go take a look at property taxes and how much those continue to increase every year. So just the government itself is adding more and more cost to home ownership. And if you go back to the market dynamics of supply and demand, how many times do people want to build more housing and they're not able to because of zoning laws or NIMBY or, you know, whatever it is. And so we have this constricted supply of housing as well. Um and so you've got all of these ways that the government is interfering in the markets between the Fed, between the government inflation, between the, the laws. Well, and it's, the, it's these, these media outlets seem to be trying to discourage people from owning homes as well, right? So already you have it very difficult for millennials to compete with massive firms. Now they're being persuaded by the media. Don't, don't buy a house. Oh, they regret all of it. This is one of the craziest things to me. This, um, this millennials buy homes and regret it. I think these millennials, I've said it before. If, if you buy a house, if you save up for a down payment, 
you can get a, a what, what, what's you, 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 can you do zero down right now? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it used to be a big thing. So I think that they've actually cracked down quite a bit. As as you know, right. they've actually made it more difficult in many ways mm-hmm. to get homes. They're not sort of doing this this free for all that they right. did. Um, but as you know, it always ends up bifurcated where people who you're like, well, how did that person get a house? Gets a house. <laughs> um, and then, you know, people who have great credit and whatnot are finding they have to jump through a million different yeah, hoops. Yeah, yeah. For, uh, for me, it was, it was a three months of hoops and they ultimately said no. Yeah. But, uh, I guess what, what I'm, what I want to tell millennials is message is if you end up being able to buy a house, if you save up you, enough, you need uh, as much as you need for the down payment, maybe it's 5%. So if it's like a $200,000 house, you might only need 10 grand. And not an easy feat for a lot of people, but if you can save up, maybe you have a, a significant other. If you don't like the house, rental management companies can run it for you. And you are a homeowner and you're a landlord. It's crazy to me that they're trying to tell people not to do this. It's, it's, it's going to create corporations, companies that own the property and the people who don't. That's the direction we're heading in. And I, I'm going to tell you, man, it's going to be a dystopian future when people don't own anything. But this, that, that's that's the great reset. It's these articles where they're like, home ownership is bad. People don't want it. Is the most blatant manipulation I've, I've I've seen in the last two years from corporate media about what we're talking about the great reset. And it's sad that more people don't know that this is manipulation. That this is yeah. That this is marketing, and that it's. I, I mean, they could just say maybe buy a smaller house. I mean, part part of the issue is right is that we've kind of gone to this McMansion kind of thing. If you think about the square footage of the houses that people grew up in back in the day, well, I'm older than you, but back back in my day when I walked to school uphill both ways, um, you know that the houses were much smaller, and so we've we've kind of gone to this place where there's bigger, but there's all different kinds of options, and so maybe it's yeah, maybe you don't need the bigger house, but still. Buy something, get equity, get ownership. Ownership leads to wealth. We want to encourage prosperity for everyone. We want everyone to be in the game because if you don't have everybody in the game, go ahead. No, no, no. (laughs) You know where I'm going? I I was going to say, the message that we espouse is empower yourself. Yes. The message that these firms and the media says is disempower yourself. Right. Become weak. Give us the power. You're give the us victim. control. Right, exactly. Go on the government. UBI. Let the government take care of you. Let them give you $12,000 a year because yeah, that's going to make you wealthy. It's not logical. That's what gets me is these these messages. This messaging is not logical. To tell people no. not to buy land is not logical. It's it's someone is doing this on purpose. Do you ever you guys remember that viral video where the guys like read a book read a book read a mother effing book yes and then there's one part he's like buy some land buy some land you know <laughs> right, right. spinning rims yeah buy some land man but you give that to your kids go, when you go pass. go follow on twitter wu-tang financial oh my gosh <laughs> yeah wu-tang financial they'll give you all these kinds of like great nuggets you kind of meme style but but the, the underlying message absolutely and it you know, maybe if the housing thing isn't for you, then go get equity in businesses, build a business. Oh, except for the fact that when you go do that, then you're going to get shut down. The government's your number one risk. And it's so interesting, the parallel between what happened with big and small businesses with the CARES relief and what you're talking about with the housing market. Because what happened, and you know, we've seen it in, in previous bailouts, all this money goes to big companies. The CARES Act was primarily trillions of dollars to cronies, who, by the way, didn't have to do anything to get it. They didn't have to apply. But if you were a small business, you had to step up and apply. And the biggest small businesses 
Kanye West and Tom Brady got PPP loans, but your pizza <laughs> shop down the road didn't. And so you know how you said you had to, all that paperwork that you had to fill out? It's the same thing for the small business. You had to jump through the hoops. They made it hard. If you had a bad background check, they said, sorry, you know, we can't give you the loan because, you know, you've got bad debt. They made it as hard as possible for the people who needed it the most, who, again, did nothing wrong. This was government mandate taking their property, subverting their property rights, and they were the ones that had to jump through the hoops. Is that because they just assumed those businesses were going to go out of business anyway? They wanted them out of business. They didn't care. That 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 is just extra people riffraff that can come onto the government dole, that can go work for Amazon. They want to consolidate power. This is central planning versus decentralization. This is crypto versus the Fed. This this is what's happening retail versus the market. This this is decentralization versus centralization. And then it comes back to crypto. Yeah. You know why there is this um move against it, why many uh, many uh, poor people are convinced to get away from it, why the articles say China's cracking down, dodge this, don't go near it. And it's an escape Right. That's how it's been described by a lot of people. We had Max Kaiser on the show and he said it gets you out of that system. Maybe you can't own property, but you can own crypto and that's something they can't control. And boy, do they not like that? No, they don't. I mean, and that's that's potentially crypto's biggest risk right now is that you have a stock market that's valued in dollars. You have an IRS that takes payment in dollars and you have a U.S. government with a, a central bank pseudo attached to it that has a, a military, although the military has gone woke. So you know, maybe that's not as big of a risk anymore. Um, but, you know, they don't want to give up that power. They don't want somebody else to have that power and be in the in club, are you kidding? They're going to do everything they can to fight it, which is exactly why people are fighting back against it, which I think is great and I think needs to happen. But that's where this is going to come down to. And so that's what we need to be watching. So all of this stuff, right? The war on small businesses, the, 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 the telling people not to buy houses and taking away their property. What's the future you see if this trend continues? So what's going to end up happening is that you have you know, small businesses, you're going to have economic freedoms taken away, and you're going to have them taken away, and we've seen the seeds planted. It's under the guise of capitalism. Capitalism isn't working, they tell you. We're in late-stage capitalism. Capitalism is just freedom, choice, and transparency with property rights. So there is no stages. It's just kind of like on a spectrum over here with free choice versus force, coercion, and control. And so they're going to blame capitalism. They're going to get people riled up and go, yeah, you know, you're right. We should probably have the government in charge of more things. It's going to kill more businesses. And you're going to end up with some form of a pseudo centrally planned hybrid economy where maybe, you know, Amazon and, you know, 50 other companies get to do their thing and everything else is the government. And like you said, you own nothing. You have no wealth creation opportunities. And we have squandered the biggest opportunity for economic freedom that has ever happened in history in the world. What scares me about all this is that there's, there's this idea you will own nothing and you will be happy. But I don't believe that centralized economies or, or command control and authoritarianism actually work. It's, it's this utopian pipe dream. Some, some well, hi- history has proven that they don't. We, we don't have any example anywhere in history that it's ever worked. So, right. so yeah, you don't so, just have to believe it. You could just follow the data on that one. So what happens is you get every – what is it? Every generation or, or multiple generations, you get some crackpot despot saying, I should control everything because I'm smarter than all them. 
And then they realize calculating the economic requirements of billions of people cannot be done by a single mind or a committee or a council or a small firm. It requires decentralized economics or, hey, free enterprise. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, this this is, and you know, go back to basic economics by Thomas Sowell or, or anything else, uh, and and people making free choices are going to tell the market what they need. And certainly, at any point in time, there may be a slight dislocation, but it gets it gets fixed. I mean, look at toilet paper, right? <laughs> what happened in March of 2020? We had a problem. People decided to have a run on toilet paper. I don't know why that was the like one thing. If there's going to be a pandemic that you're worried about, but people cared about their behinds. I have a bidet. wasn't a big deal to me, um, but I'm ahead, I'm always ahead of the curve. So you know, Marco Rubio goes out and he writes an op-ed and like one of the papers, like, oh well, we really need to be on top of the supply chain. The market figured it out in a couple months. There was more toilet paper than anybody wanted, and certainly. There are going to be continued disruptions when the government intervenes. But if you let the market sort itself out, like it's going to figure it out over time. Yes, there's going to be bad actors. There is bad actors in every system or unsystem, as I like to call capitalism. But, you you know, you, you have rules and regulations in place to take care of those specific things that infringe on property rights. But there is never going to be a committee of people who have your best interest at heart. I mean, that's the part that's that's the worst is people seem to think that there are these people sitting in Washington who want them to succeed and that they're going to do what's right for them over their own best interest. That is just not human nature. That's why representative democracy doesn't work, because those people do not represent others. They represent themselves. And it's up to the individual to represent themselves. It's, it's, we're in an ancient system right now. It's back to Milton Friedman. You know, where are you going to find these angels to organize the economy for Mm -hmm. us? And this is the part where it's like both frustrating and exciting because like I look at the people who like were the former Bernie bros and progressives and sort of the independents where I sit and even some of the conservatives. And a lot of us are circling around the same ideas, guys. Like we have the same issues. We have the same problems. We just haven't quite gotten there on the solution. And so I hope that people who may not, you know, who may think the government is the right answer takes a look at what the government's been involved in, how many laws we have, how much money they're spending, like what their outcomes have been and go, oh my God, we've got Frankenstein. We've got to kill the monster here. And let's look at the other opportunity. Is there a way, even if you don't, if you think the government somehow needs to be involved, is there a way to bring more transparency and more free choice to everything we do and keep the, the government out of the way? One of the challenges is the media. You know, we oh. both love it, we <laughs> yeah. hate it. But you mentioned more choices. If people don't know something exists or, you know, how, how do they find it? How do they buy it? And it's, it's something that I think it was Steve Jobs who said, how do they know they want it if they've you know never seen it? Yeah. So you have to, you know, e- explore and make things. But to, to this point, when it came to toilet paper and the gasoline thing that happened uh, just this past month or so with the shortage in uh, local shortages, it was the media. You know, the media started telling people toilet paper was vanishing, so people got up and ran to the toilet paper. So whatever you do, don't buy toilet paper. I mean it. <laughs> don't buy toilet paper. I mean, do, you know, do it's you like, have stock in Charmin or something? <laughs> it, it's, it's I'm like, short Charmin. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like the fire alarm where it's like don't pull. Like all I want to do is just pull. Anytime they tell me not to do something or they tell you that it's going to be a panic. 
Like, that's, of course, that's what's going to set people off. Like, this, it's like nobody understands human nature, or perhaps they understand it very well, mm. and they're manipulating it, you. You're right. <laughs> human nature is very interesting, because language is not literal. It, it, no. it's, when you say, don't get angry, what people are hearing is... Calm get, down. They're literally hearing, get angry, get angry. The word don't's there, but they're hearing, get angry, get angry. So it, it vibrates a different... Ang- it makes people get... So you want to say, like, be happy, be peaceful, not don't be angry. It's a double negative. It doesn't work in language. Calm, not spoken language. I, I calm down is the Calm is, down. Is any, any woman, you've ever tell yeah. any woman to calm down, your marriage will end. Like they're on the spot. Like, you, like the two least effective words together in the human language is calm down. I, I've noticed if you tell people you're happy, you're listening to me, then they start to listen to you. As opposed to in a fight being like, you're not listening. Then they stop. Then they're like, I'm not listening. Okay, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. And so you want to like create, you know, positive. Yeah, I mean, this is what improv is based off of. But fun fact with me, I, I actually studied with Second City. Um, and so I've got a little bit of improv background. And so one of the things they teach you in improv is this technique called yes and. It's like the, you know, kind of ground floor. Whereas when somebody says something, instead of like saying no and like going in direction, you say yes and and then you go and you use that to build a bridge to something and so it's acknowledging like yeah I, I hear what you have to say and like like let's bring this into the discussion too it's just it's the same thing but it's communicated in a way that's more inclusive and makes people feel like like you're taking and, and listening to them which by the way at the end of the day a lot of that's what a lot of this is about is people just want to be heard Right. I want to I want to jump to the story and give a shout yeah. out to Mr. Glenn Greenwald. Oh yeah, we have the story from uh, well, we just have a lot of Daily Wire. Uh, I'm sorry, Daily Mail today. Firebrand journalist Glenn Greenwald slams MSNBC and CNN for dangerous failure failure to investigate issues and praises Fox as the only news outlet presenting an opposite opinion. Oh. <clears throat> it's crazy that we're in this era because I grew up with Fox News being the bad ones. That was weird and ho- ideologically homogenous. But now it's it's true. I mean, you look at MSNBC and CNN, and if the government said it, it's true. That's it. Fox, you know, Tucker Carlson, he brings on Antifa. Always. And, and the funny thing is, so I, I know these activists, these old hackers, they posted a photo today of themselves with Glenn Greenwald, and they were like, just disparaging their young selves, saying it's not our fault, we didn't change. And I'm like, yo, like, these people used to be fans of Glenn Greenwald, fans of WikiLeaks. Now they're actively defending the FBI and MSNBC and CNN. Like, how does this happen, this shift? So I'll I'll tell you what happened is people have abandoned, and I don't know, maybe it never existed, but it's really gone, I think, with social media in the other direction. They've abandoned the concept of principles. Everything is party, it's politics, it's people. But it's not principle. So I'm on the team. You know, either this is my sports team or it's my religion or whatever it is. And like, no matter what it is, if it's coming from my arena, I'm going to agree it's good. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't have a set of principles that I'm judging things against. And so, I mean, you see this all the time. They do the man on the street segments where you tell somebody a statement and you put a different name attached and all of a sudden they don't agree with the statement anymore. We got to get back to just people you don't like can say things that are interesting and make sense and people you do like can say things that you don't agree with or you think that are completely insane and it is it is every side of the coin it is the left is the right the easiest content you'll see it from jimmy kimmel he goes outside and says something like you know donald trump said this and then he'll get dumb people to say dumb things and then go ha look how dumb trump supporters are but then you'll see the same thing for people on the right where they'll go out and say things like, you know, Barack Obama said X and they'll cheer for it. Ah, that was Donald Trump. Or you get a lot of people who will be like, look how dumb these liberals are and things like that. 
I do think the tendency tends to be on the left, however, and in the mainstream press. I think for whatever for whatever reason right now, you'll find on the right with Trump supporters, with conservatives, Republicans, there's typically more honesty and more attempt at good faith conversation. For example, you know, Stephen Crowder trying to have a conversation with Ethan Klein. And Ethan Klein's response, as we see with the mainstream on the left, was to make it a spectacle, to turn it into a bad faith troll. And then the Forbes and Daily Beast and Newsweek all laugh and hoot and yell, aha, we got you, Crowder. But Crowder was trying to have a good faith conversation. So, so I, I don't know what it is because it felt like when I was growing up, the left was trying to be good faith. But maybe that was just me being in the matrix. It's very possible. I mean, I grew up in a non-political family. I didn't know about any of this. Like, I mean, I completely fell completely tushy backwards <laughs> into this when Mitt Romney ran for president because they needed somebody to explain the, the auto bailouts and, and all those kinds of things and private equity. He was a private equity guy. Um, and so they're like, you're an investment banker. Like, you come on. I just wanted to be a game show host, people. That's why I did. I wanted to give away pro- – I still want to be a game show host. But somehow I got, like, dragged into this. And so, like, you know, I didn't – you know, I just basically whatever my parents said, like, yeah, okay, but they weren't really even – they didn't really follow any of this stuff. And then you kind of get in the middle of it and you're like, what the heck is going on? But the craziest part about all of this is just the guilt by association and the cancel culture, whether you do it yourself or whether it's, you know, you've got somebody on the back of your book that some corporation doesn't <laughs> like. And now they're not buying your books anymore. A couple got- days before book launch. Not that this happened. <laughs> it didn't happen, did it? Did it happen? So this this is uh, breaking news. You could be the first people to hear about this. Um, and this is so disappointing because it's like one person who's not even in the organization. So I'm not going to name the organization because I like the organization. It's a big, big old company who wanted to have me come out and give a speech. And instead of charging my speaking fee, I said, well, if you buy the equivalent amount of the books, then you can give everybody a book. And, you know, well, win-win for everyone. Oh, this is great. And they're talking to publicists. We're working out the details. Well, one outside PR consultant looked at the six different names on the back of the book that represent all different viewpoints. Because that's the great thing about small business. It brings people together. And they didn't like one of the names. And they thought that that tainted me and blew up the entire thing. And I'm like, how is it the fact that I'm building bridges and bringing together different viewpoints a bad thing? You would think that's exactly what we need at this point in time about a topic that, again, like, I don't even need to talk about it. I can talk about whatever you want. You're buying my books. Like, you're, I'm on your clock. I can talk about anything. I'll talk about football, hockey. I don't really care. So they could have done anything or they could have, but like I'm now canceled and my book orders are literally canceled because they pulled out one of the six names. One person, a outside PR person, didn't want that association. If you knew that that name would have had, would have resulted in this circumstance, would you remove it? No. <laughs> because I am in the fortunate position where I can make those decisions. And I've told people before, like, I'm getting the vans on the book anyway. Like, I don't care if it sells one copy or whatever. I'm not doing this for financial needs. I'm doing this because it's a really important message that everybody needs to hear. They need to to, to spread. And also, 
if this book doesn't do well, nobody's going to do anything about small business in the media again. Because I don't know if you guys know this, probably not, because this is my domain. But like any media that has to do with small business has all been pulled away. There used to be TV shows. They pulled them off the air. If you try to get a segment on a major show, you can't. They have completely taken away. So this is the entry to, for people to say we care about small business. And, you know, but, they're but, trying but, to take that away. Well, let's think about that for a second. Um, I, I think you did the right. I think that was the right thing. If If it were me, I would not remove the name of any comment or endorsement simply because someone would threaten to cancel me. So it's, I think you, you, you're, you're saying the right thing. I agree with you. But there's also the argument that couldn't you have reached more ears by you canceling one of those endorsements? Yeah, it's, I mean, it goes back to principle. It's just not the way that I roll. I'm hoping that I can, can find a different way. Let me tell you a story about my last book, because I think this will give you, this will give you a little sense of who I am. So when I wrote my last book, The Entrepreneur Equation, um, my publisher at the time had the idea of putting a picture of me on the book cover. And if you've seen the book cover, it's me in pink heels in front of a chalkboard doing a little like sexy teacher kind of thing, I, whatever. They, they conceptualized it. And back in the day, there were actually bookstores. And uh, one of the big bookstores, uh, one of the buyers told my publisher, you know, she's a little too attractive to be taken seriously as a business author. So we kind of think you should either pull her off the cover of the book or, you know, maybe like ugly her up a little bit. And so they wow. came back to me with this feedback and they said, you know, by the way, my last publisher was very, very collaborative. They were great. And they said, it's your book. But these guys are really important. So, like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to do the biggest blank blank to them of all time. And for those of you who know, I have my own fashion doll slash action figure that was made as a premium to match what I look like <laughs> on the book cover. And so for every book that was sent out, the action figure was sent with it. And I just kind of doubled down on that right and on. said that was the thing. So that's kind of how I approach it. But again, I have the ability to do that. When when somebody does care about like that book sale is going to put food on the table, they don't have the flexibility to make the same choices that I do. And so I'm cognizant, which is why I care about these topics, because not everybody can do that. It's a big challenge. Yeah. Knowing that there is this system in place that is is uh, unreasonable. And that, that, that this story is kind of nuts. I, 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 without saying who the person is, it is a mainstream normal person. It is totally it's crazy that a company would be like, I don't know about that guy. I actually had, um, right. I mean, it's not, it's not like I've got like, like Manson on the cover. Right, like, right, right. like, oh, you should really, I mean, yeah, these are all, these are all well known people. You may not agree with them, but yeah. I actually had, uh, the Daily Beast wrote an article about the, uh, uh John McAfee thing. And I, I tweeted, uh, bull effing ish in response to the story. And I linked John McAfee saying I will never take my own life. And so they incorporate that into the story, which I don't care. They called me a conspiracy theorist. It's like, okay, if I was making, I, I, I didn't make an assertion about what happened. I just said BS. Like, I don't believe the story. Not believing a story is not asserting a conspiracy, but they called me alt-right. It's that I was alt-right and I'm like, they just make it up. I got they, called alt-right for this too. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, no, literally, because I had one person they didn't like on the book. Which is like hilarious because like I'm an independent like Jewish woman like how am I alt right? But it's 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 because they know it'll taint in in the future. Someone yep. will look back. Now I, I was fortunate enough. Look, I I I, I go th I go through things in the very normal way. I don't go on Twitter and start screaming like this is ridiculous. 
quiet email requesting a retraction and a correction. And they immediately responded with an apology and took it out. Mm, I'm lucky that happened. Good for because you. Because a lot of uh, there, there was a, there was one period where they there was you know they, they lie about people all day and night, and I think the scary thing is that for you mentioned the, the little guy doesn't have the opportunity to make these these, these right. choices. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are you supposed to do when you're going up against a multi-million dollar corporation that's lied about you and there's not much you can do? So I, I look at it this way as well. Um, I was flying on American Airlines once and our flight, flight got delayed because of a major storm. It was in, I think it was in Dallas. And so I went, uh, I, I went on Twitter and, you know, tweeted them like, Hey, is there any update on this? I couldn't get through the phone line. And the next thing I know, they were like, Mr. Poole, we're going to take care of you and make sure everything is perfect. Step to the line right now and let them know. And I walk up to the line. I looked to my right, huge line, yeah. hundreds of people waiting. And I'm like, this kind of screwed up they, because they, they don't fear the regular person who can't do anything about their circumstances, but they're worried I could tweet and cause them problems. I don't like that idea. I don't like tweeting at companies, but sometimes it's the only way to get them to react. Well, it's interesting. So tying it back into what happened you know, with COVID and small business and PPP, you know, this is exactly the, where the structure of PPP failed so badly is that they put, you know, these parameters where you could have you know, millions and millions of dollars in assets and revenue and you could still you know, go in and apply for these PPP comp- or PPP loans. So if you're a bank and you've got like the guy who's got millions of dollars and you've been doing business with them and then you've got like this pizza shop that's like struggling to make it, like whose loan are you going to fulfill first? Of course you're going to fulfill your good customer. It should have, they've never, should never been put in that position in the first place. And so right. that goes back to a flaw in the structure. It's hard to fault the person who has the loyal relationship whose business is also going to depend on it. But why was it structured that way yeah. to begin with? And I think those are the questions we need to continue to we ask. Need, we need smart contracts to dole out these things. Like um, this is part of the great thing about cryptocurrency is there's no middleman to decide where what's going to happen or where it's going to go. You have the parameters and it fits. And there it is on in the on the blockchain out in the open. Which is why I, is it a, why it's a threat to them? I have some I, I'm optimistic. You know, yet you, uh, a couple of days ago we were talking to Bannon. He was saying we're winning. Once these these moms see what ha- what happens to their kids, what these schools are teaching on August fifteenth, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. And it, and that was a really really good point. I'm also confident because of the things we're doing over at TimCast.com and the tremendous re- support we have from all of you uh, who are members. You guys are amazing. We're able to hire journalists. We're expanding like crazy. Things are going better than ever. We're trying really hard to move away from YouTube because that was putting our all our eggs in one basket. And it's very very dangerous. We're trying to build something substantive. And so I'm, I'm confident that not only are we going to succeed with the support of our, 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 our paying members, we're finding new ways to generate revenue, new ways to uh, support real news and fact check. And all of that makes me optimistic. And there's another thing that makes me really optimistic is seeing stories like this one. Brian Stelter's revised <laughs> anti-Trump diatribe hoax tanks with less than 2,000 copies sold in its first week, despite massive book tour. Oh. And launch party as ratings for his CNN show dropped to its lowest of the year. Seeing this happen, he sold 1,738 copies in his first week. Wow. 
That's very, very, very few books. So, so here's the thing is that I guess when people hate watch a show, they don't hate buy the it's book. Not, huh? I mean, cause well, I mean, that, that's, I mean, and again, I don't like to pick on people's livelihoods, but I do feel like based on everything I've seen, there are a lot of people who watch the show that the, most of the commentary isn't, oh, I am enjoying this thing. It's literally hate watching. It seems like that's the, the big part of his audience, which I think is hard to translate. At the same time, I'm not going to make fun of that number of book sales because, you know, I've got a book that's coming out. I've got big corporate media who doesn't want to cover it. I've got big corporations who are canceling me. So I might do worse than Brian Stelter. Sure, sure. But yeah. this is this is a guy who goes on TV and he tells people not to watch other shows. He's got this massive CNN platform that's ratings are in decline. And now he can't sell his book. I mean, this is a guy who was getting over a million viewers. Now he's getting around seven, 800,000. It's going down. He, hey, that's still a lot of viewers. It's more than I'm getting. But you see that decline at the same time. It it. Look, I'm not trying to there, – there is a bit of, I guess, spite in like, haha, watching someone fail and, and everything like that. But I genuinely think what he does is, is dangerous. What CNN does is bad. They lie. They manipulate. They're a part of the problem. And, and they represent the decentralized media. I'm going to give a plug to you right the, now. The centralized media? Right, the, the centralized media. And you are the decentralization. And so, I mean, if you're enjoying this, you should be supporting Tim. And I'm going to support you because I believe in this. Because decentralization is critical, and this is the American dream, and capitalism is about putting your dollars where your belief system is. You you can't go out and say, you know, Alexa, why does Jeff Bezos have so much money? Could you order me some Doritos and tell me the sales on Prime Days? And then go like, well, what, you know, what's going what's, on here? She, 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 she's she's going to be like, I can't talk about that. <laughs> okay, she, we, we actually have one and you call she her, but like, she didn't respond. You can ask her all sorts of questions about Jeff. She's like, I can, I'm not going to talk about oh, that. But that's what I'm saying is that so you, so, I, so support the things that you believe in and support these small companies and support small business and support small business advocacy. That's how you make a dent and, and don't support, don't, don't hate watch things you don't like because it's giving them dollars. I mean, I know it, it's fun and whatever, but like, don't do it. Support the things like, like, let's make it a positive instead of a negative and go out and, and support because you are the American dream. You're building that. You're, you're helping other people with them getting more jobs and creating something that's important. And we need more of that. And people should, should buy your book, The War on Small Business by Carol Roth. Why? Amazon is one of the most powerful ways that decentralized media has been able to get a foothold and challenge the establishment. I mentioned this the other day with Michael Knowles' book, Speechless. Yes. Definitely you should buy Speechless. You should buy Unmasked by Andy No. Posobiec's book. Jack Posobiec's book. Um, that's the anti Antifa, Antifa book. book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because when people go to Amazon... And Michael Malice's book, The Anarchist uh, yes, Handbook. Yes. Create Space, I believe, is where it is. You can, you can publish your own books. You go on Amazon, and you'll see the top charts. And it's a bunch of anti-establishment thinkers. It's people challenging conventional wisdom with, with interesting ideas. And they don't all agree with each other. But it's, it's a way to break through. When the establishment, the mainstream, when CNN, when they don't give the time of day, when Brian Sutter comes on TV and says, don't watch the spin, come to us. When, who was it, Tapper, who said, you can't read WikiLeaks emails. Only huh. we, it's illegal. Only we can read it. You can now find the honest and dissenting voices because well, Amazon has to put them in the ranking same as everybody else. Granted, they do ban books, which is another scary component of this. But so long as we have that opportunity, if everybody buys your book, we can get this top 10 list, which is going to include a bunch of people of varying political ideologies. And that will what will happen is a regular person will be browsing Amazon. What do they see? Number one, they see Carol Roth. Number 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 one, they say Michael Knowles or Andy No or, or people like Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin. 
And now they're going to get an idea they normally wouldn't have got from CNN. So this is so interesting. So this, this is a good um, so capitalism debate because <clears throat> I had been directing people to bookshop.org because I don't know if you're familiar with bookshop.org, but what it does is it fulfills books from local small business booksellers. Cool. Uh, so you get to not only support small business advocacy in terms of the, the book that you're buying and learning these concepts and spreading the concepts, but you actually get to put a couple dollars towards the, the small business. But it's an interesting point because at the same time, if it doesn't chart well on Amazon, then the people outside the ones who are buying it here also don't get. So I need you to buy two books. Could you buy one <laughs> on Amazon and buy one on Bookshop? Give it to a friend. No, but seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is an interesting sort of question is do you want to, like, do you, to take down and, and get some foothold, do you need to chart on the big place and, you know, change minds or do we support the small guys and win in that direction and, and maybe they're not mutually exclusive no i don't think I want, they are i think you should support both yeah i want to rub cnn's nose in it a little bit because i got the story okay okay this is important guys i need to beat brian stelter there so you even <laughs> if you don't care about this book i can't sell fewer copies than he does well right. no, no no i'm gonna bring up uh, acosta great point. so this is a story from two years ago president donald trump cnn's jim acosta spar over journalist book sales granted it's from 2019 it's still kind of funny. So Trump is talking, and then they say um, he was asked about uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And then Trump flips the script saying, I don't really care about offending people. I sort of thought you'd know that. Flips the script and says, by the way, congratulations to Jim Acosta, by the way. By the way, congratulations. I understand your book. Is it doing well? It's doing very well, Mr. President, Acosta said. Trump seemed astonished. <laughs> really? I'll get you an autographed copy Acosta offered. It's from Deadline, by the way, not from Fox News. They say... Acosta's book isn't doing that well. It's in the 1300s on Amazon. He was previously zinged on the lagging sales by Fox News host Sean Hannity, who called the book a disaster and an epic fail. So, yes, like you said, it's people watch these shows because they hate Trump or they hate the right, not because they like Acosta's reporting, not because they like Brian Stelter. So when the name pops up that says Stelter, they say, I don't care. If the if the if the book was why Trump is bad by guy who hates Trump. They might actually buy that book. Yeah, well, and I, my only, again, my issue on principle and not personage is that he's got a show called Reliable Sources that does not have reliable sources. And so if you run a show that's not named correctly and your book is called Hoaxed, I don't really know what I'm getting inside the book. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's jump to a story. Lydia, by the way, it's laughing. At me. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You have no idea what you're getting. Brian I, I, We'll, 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 we'll just do a hard segue into this Mumford and Sons thing. Oh, and yeah. just roll, mm. roll, roll about through it. this one. Yeah, so we got the story from TimCast.com by Cassandra Fairbanks. Mumford and Sons guitarist leaves band after outrage over him praising Andy No's book. It's kind of a crazy story. It's a roller coaster of emotion. They say following intense backlash after he, re- he, he praised Andy No's book, he apologized for endorsing the book. Over the past few days, I have come to better understand the pain caused by the book I endorsed. I have offended not only a lot of people I don't know, but also those closest to me, including my bandmates. And for that, I am truly sorry. As a result of my actions, I am taking time away from the band to examine my blind spots. For now, please know that I realize how my endorsements have the potential to be viewed as approvals of hateful, divisive behavior. I apologize. The apology tweet, which was put out in March, has now been deleted. On Thursday, he wrote a Medium post explaining his decision to leave the band, saying that he wants to be free to speak his mind. He mentioned... That it wasn't just the endorsement that was the problem. He goes on to mention that actually apologizing was the next sin that caused the mob to come after him. 
So I, I find this to be actually an interesting story because it shows that when you're confronted with an angry mob, there's nothing you can do. So it, it, it's what should someone do? Because because look, it's not just the left. Now we we typically say the left is all about cancel culture, but it affects the right as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I just have a, a thing in life, and my husband will tell you this. This is like the one thing that drives him crazy about me. I will not apologize for something if I'm not sorry. So like, my husband gets like two apologies a year on things. <laughs> there are a couple of times when I do things, but most of the time, there's something like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm not sorry. I'm not apologizing. You don't apologize. If you're not sorry for something, yeah, and, and you shouldn't be sorry for speaking and having a differing opinion. No, my version of apology is to change my behavior. If I really am sorry for what I did, I'm going to make sure I don't do it again. And I'm going to do something better that's... I'm what, not going well, to make cry and yell about what, what, what's also, what, What's this thing about apologizing to people that have nothing to do with it? Like, you, to me, if you wrong somebody, if I wrong you, Tim... I'm sorry to you, but I don't need to apologize to the rest of the world that, like, this is between the two of us. This is a very personal thing. Like, why have we dragged everybody else in the peanut gallery into this concept of apologizing? Like, I don't need to apologize to you. It had nothing to do with it. This was between the two of us. Like, I, this is it's a like very a personal thing that everyone wants to get in the middle like of. Virtue signaling, it seems like. Well, so, so shout out apology to the atmosphere. <laughs> when, when this Bumford and Sons guy says, you know, hey, Andy, great book. You're very brave. All of these people get mad saying you're supporting the far right. So they are personally offended and they demand he apologize to no, them. I, I understand that they're personally offended, but it has nothing to do with them. He, they, he didn't tweet something to them, so he can't be sorry to them. You can't take into account every single person, like, you know, to take the temperature of every person. That's why we have the concept of free speech, right? The, 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 the main issue, I suppose, is that the what, what's, what really happens if you step back is that Mumford & Sons was set to lose money. And so he's like, a bunch of people are mad at me for doing a thing I don't understand. If I do nothing and we lose money, so he apologizes. The apology didn't work. They lose money no matter what. So then he says, wow, apologizing was a big mistake, which is funny because, you know, look, my my question, I'll throw it it back to you, Ian. What makes you sorry for something, right? You said if you did something and then you were actually sorry, you'd say you're sorry. It's empathy. It's if I see that you're hurt, I I feel that. And I, I want to make sure you don't feel that again. But what if people are hurt for something nonsensical like he recommended a book? Or he didn't even recommend it. He just said, great job. Then I still empathize that you're pain, but I will let you know I'm not going to change my behavior because uh, this is why I feel it's righteous. Well, and let me tell you about the money angle, too. This is very interesting because I at one point was going to write a book kind of about the the actual financial implications of, of these you know, outrages. And people get very angry and they say we're going to boycott something. And then they move on. And so if you think about SoulCycle or you think about you know, all these different companies that have gotten caught up, I know very few of them that have, have had you know those kinds of financial implications because people were outraged. Now, there are some like major cancel culture issues that have some short-term implications. But a lot of times when you have these like big brand things, like, oh, I'm not going to go to Soul Cycle anymore. We're like, when's the last time you got on a spin bike? Like, never. Uh-huh. You know, so it's a lot of times it's it's this vocal minority that has nothing to do with your fan base. Now, granted, if it's literally your fan base, then maybe you need to think about it. But a lot of times it's just like, a bunch of the you know, course of trolls blah, 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 and then they like move on to something else next week. And so I think a lot of times people panic instead of just letting it blow over. Let's yeah, so let, let we'll think about the the ramifications of, you know, offending a fan base. Should you just be especially in politics, a personality that just says whatever your audience wants to hear because then they'll give you money, 
Or if you say something that offends them, should you just be like, well, that's what I think. Have a nice day, even if you lose money. Well, I think you need to be careful as a business or as you know, somebody if, if you're like fan driven or customer driven. Like this podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Is Do you want to have a public set of opinions or do you want to keep that in your circle? Because, you know, the reality is like when back in my day when I walked uphill to school, like the people who knew my opinions were like, a couple people in my circle. Now we have Dear Diary that's Twitter and Facebook. and We take everything that we think and we broadcast it to everybody. We weren't meant to take out information. So if you're in that kind of public light and this isn't like what you do for a living, then you might just say, you know, as a policy, like maybe I don't want to comment on these kinds of things publicly or maybe i'm going to send a note to to andy privately or you know whatever it is and it's not because you're scared or you're bad or you're backing down but it's just that's that's not how you make a living that's not your thing and not that you should have to censor yourself i'm not trying to talk about censorship but i'm just saying like it do we need to have everybody's opinion about everything it's you're talking about restraint and it's yeah, something that yeah. is maybe you could argue is lacking in society but it is a, a, a detrimental it is a very important aspect of being a human is restraining your body it is a wild animal that you are in control of and it wants to do things so you need to be intelligent and of course control yourself <laughs> you don't need to tell everyone everything that's not the definition of honesty the honesty is not lying to people but you know it's just you use discretion or, and also staying I don't know why I'm so angry about and this. also staying in your Because he's in a band. I'm sorry to interrupt you. This guy's a musician, <laughs> man, and so am I, and this is so messed up. That's all I'm thank you. Yeah, no, but, I mean and, I mean I think it's also just about like sometimes just staying in your lane. Not to say that the book thing isn't staying in your lane, but just as a broader macro concept we're talking about through the nuance of this, is that like you know, I, I'm a, a, an expert on economic fine and financial things. Like people who don't know the difference between a balance sheet and an income statement, like want to come argue with me about stuff. And it's like, I don't need your opinion on how to organize the economy. You don't know what a balance sheet is. So it's the same kind of thing. I'm not going to wade into like discussing the intricacies of like medical decisions or, you know, those kinds of things that aren't my areas of expertise. I don't think, and part of it is this, this is just a nascent technology. We're not used to this level of communication. Communication. So I'm not judging anyone. This is we're all trying to sort this out and wait it through. But like, not everybody needs to weigh in on every topic. Like, pick the things where you particularly have that domain expertise, and you know maybe spend more time listening on some of the other things. There's no upside to Twitter. There's there's <laughs> literally none. And I, 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 well, the well, upside you know, is the connections, right? That's like, true. Like, that's like true. That I've met some of the most yeah. amazing people. I mean, 
we met because right. of Twitter. We met because of Twitter. We met because of him. But because like, I saw on your tweets last an- night. Ancillarily because of Twitter. You know, a lot of the people watching, like I've met the most amazing connections and I've collaborated and work. That is the upside to Twitter. But you have to curate that experience appropriately. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll walk that back for sure. There, there, the upside definitely is connections. Um, like my my uh, communication with Joe Rogan, which resulted in me me going yeah. on the show, was he was following me on Twitter. He DM'd me. We we talked, and yeah, I think before Twitter, it was it, you, you couldn't communicate with with high profile individuals or celebrities. It was just near impossible. But I do think something interesting is happening where I think there is a push towards because of things like Mumford and Sons. The celebrities are once again retreating from the landscape saying there's no point. And what happens is it becomes journalists or I should say activists. So the, the largest com- component, the largest community on Twitter for the longest time has been journalists so arguing all, with each other. That's the biggest component of the blue checks too, right? Right. Yeah. It's like a quarter of them, or at least this was several years ago. And so they argue about things in culture and politics, and it literally makes their careers they get a bunch of followers. Then the news outlets are like, oh, you have 20,000 followers. Welcome aboard. We'll hire you. No no joke. These news outlets will be like looking at some new hires. I want to be a writer. Well, how many followers do you have? Because you're bringing that audience to them and they know that you can push stories out, get more traffic, make them more money. So their goal for many, many of these people is to say offensive things, but say them tribalistically, which brings us to the, I, I think the problem where one of the biggest problems we're facing right now is Mumford and Sons, as you say, shouldn't wade into this territory necessarily because this guy doesn't know anything about Antifa or politics. And so by him expressing an opinion in favor of Andy, it's not his area of expertise. He exposes himself. The other issue is that when it comes to the culture war, you basically have one main rule. Say what your tribe wants to hear or else. People actually, we see it all the time. I mean, Mike Cernovich tweets it all the time where people are like, I'm going to unfollow you if you have a bad opinion or I'm not going to support your book. And then he just says, bye-bye. Okay, yeah, right. But that's not what Re- most re- people Retweets do. them and says, hey, see you later. Here's the yeah. attention that you ordered. I, lo- I love their, their – someone made the meme of you know the virgin and the Chad. <laughs> and it was like the, 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 the virgin, I'm going to unfollow you. And then there was the Chad, <laughs> I'll follow you for opinions I don't like. But it really does come down to that because uh, I don't think it matters whether you're on the left or the right. You will get the same kind of pressure if you go against the tribe. Now, the issue, I suppose, is the left tends to be dominant in establishment culture, so they have way more power. If you are James Gunn, you know, you are the rare exception where the right was able to get him temporarily canceled. But on the left, I mean, they they can send a, t- turn a tweet from a guy with 100 followers into destroying someone's life. So, so that ties back into sort of big tech and the algorithm. I'm sure that any of you who are on Twitter have noticed the kinds of things that trend are always bad, negative, baity types of things. I mean, even, I mean, a lot of times they have the tweet level underneath them and you'll see something where it's, you know, it's got like a thousand tweets or whatever. And it's like, you know, put right up there in the trend so that people can see it. And a lot of times it's calling out people by name and it's, you know, it, it, that's the algorithm there. They could put up positive stories, right? You could trend positive stories, but that's not what they choose to put at the top of the algorithm. And we know it's not just based on the the data and who's talking about it because you can see the number of tweets and there are things that have lots of tweets that you know kind of don't register. And there are things that have very few tweets that all of a sudden 
Like, oh, you might be interested in this. Take a little, take a little smell of this. What do you think about this? What, what is up with people's obsession with with drama and gossip and all that? Human nature. Why is that? <laughs> human and nature. It, and I mean, I guess it goes back human to human like, nature. Tribes. Yeah, like tribes, yeah. tribes talking about nature. is that yeah. is that hunter a bad guy? Really? Like, is he going to hurt us? Do we need to take him out? So they would gossip about their tribe, I guess. And, and now it's like all across the world on Twitter. I mean, yeah, yeah, Twitter for sure, and it's be, it's it's taken over political discourse and politics where we should be discussing what businesses are doing, how it's negatively impacting, uh, um, what government is doing that's negatively impacting small business, how it's impacting someone's life. But you'll end up with a lot of people in the space who are more interested in, I'm not going to say the guy's name, but ambushing Steven Crowder instead of actually having a legitimate conversation and turning it into a drama moment for some clicks. And then you see Newsweek. At, you know, coming out and being like, oh, and it's like Newsweek. You're supposed to be at a prestigious magazine. How oh, is this news? snap. <laughs> yeah, they'll, you'll get, you'll get people who will like see a tweet from someone and be like, this is what we should all be talking about. And it's like half the time these tweets are from people who are just sitting there like on their toilet and they're like, <laughs> and like you've got the most breakthroughs in science. It's the most epic breakthroughs in science ever seen and witnessed by humanity in the last 20 years. And like, I, I don't see much laser spectroscopy advancement, quantum, <laughs> you know, microscopes that are now able to see 33% better. It's, there's a new microscope that hits cells without heat so it can see it like 25% more clearly. It's like this, this is, but I, millions, millions it, of small businesses have been either directly murdered or like on life support. And they want to talk about the drama moment. What's the solution? I mean, it goes back to us, right? At the end of the day, this is like, we're the ones that have to safeguard freedom. We're the ones that have to make better choices. I mean, your Twitter feed literally is your own curation. You can curate yep. it any way you want. You can decide who to follow. You can decide how to engage. I was sharing with you guys offline that like one of the, my best decisions for my mental health on Twitter was to not respond to like provoking questions or explanations because it's just not a format in 280 characters to have that rich nuanced dialogue. There are people, there are other followers who will jump in and, and have that and do that for them. But like for me, that doesn't work. I'm an empath. I'm a problem solver. Like that's, that's not a good combination. So I just think we need to, in every aspect, we just need to be more intentional. I mean, we're, we're so lucky to be living where we are and in this time and this place in history. And we just take everything for granted. And so we don't put the dollars towards the small business entities. We don't curate more positivity and, and lift up more people in our, our Twitter feed. We don't empower people to make better decisions. I mean, at the end of the day, America is great because of us it's not because of our government or even because of a piece of paper in you spite know? of government you know <laughs> yeah well let's uh let's read some super chats if you haven't already friends you can smash that like button and send your super chats this way you can also go to timcast.com become a member to support our fierce and independent Do journalism it. and the unsolved mystery stuff where um I, I probably shouldn't have said it because we're so preliminary about like doing a, an investigation to the lost confederate gold. someone but, doesn't beat us to it next Ron? week where are you tim i can't wait i've been waiting for it. you talked about it a week ago where is it uh, yeah oh we got somebody on it yeah, I want to sit in a room made of gold and just vibrate. I, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. Wait, wait, I want to go back to the lost Confederate gold. So if you find the Confederate gold, is that canceled? The gold itself? Because it's Confederate yeah. gold. I think it would go to a museum. Interesting. Yeah, I think it, I think it should fine. be. You know, they used yeah, to have especially. airships during I the Civil War. I would War. be happy to manage it if it's Dirigibles. <laughs> yeah. let's, read, let's read some super okay, chats. Okay, super chats. And uh, again, we'll have a bonus segment up at TimCast.com, so smash that like button. GD Superfan says, at least we don't have to read mean tweets anymore. There is that. 
There you go. Jay says, we need a comedian with the courage to make fun of the CCP. I got the idea that they are a high school. They are a high school student who is jealous that the U.S. is the popular one. They're starting rumors to hurt the U.S.'s popularity. It's funny. I like that. All right. Max Stahl says, yo, it's the chick in the suit from Twitter. <laughs> anyway, would either of you bet serious money on Kamala being president by the end of 2022? God help us all. Yes, I would. Really? I'm not I a wouldn't. betting woman. I'm a risk-adjusted returns kind of lady. What's the risk on, on that bet? <laughs> the risk is everything we don't know, right? Informa- information f- fits into risk, and there are a lot of things we don't know there. And so I don't have enough information. I only I only bet when I – if you ever watch me playing cards and I go in, like you know I'm going to win because mm-hmm. I, I only – I play it like that. All right. Tyler Thomas says, is there a TimCast.com mobile app in our future? Yes, there is. And it will have the ability to play audio when it your phone is off. Like, not off, but asleep. Is that the right phrase? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can put it in your pocket and not drain your battery Ooh. and then still hear things. Turn the screen off. Yeah. I know right now we have the members-only thing, but it's basically like a browser function. Yeah. And it's preliminary. But the new the new website is about – the alpha will be uh, uh, ready in only a few days. And then we got to do the tests on it. Yes. And then we should have it up around, um, I'm hoping, 4th of July weekend. But I'm excited. Yeah, it often it, takes longer. Yeah, it always takes longer. But but we, we, we did a rush order, to say the least. And it's, it's costly, but I'm like, we got to make sure this is working because, look, I'll say it, man. We, I, w- I was completely overwhelmed by the amount of support we got when we launched the website. And, you know, I, I guess after the first, the first two weeks, seeing how many people signed up, and it's, it's, I don't know if I should say it, but it's, it's massive. It's ridiculously massive. So I was like, I think we need to use this opportunity to hire journalists immediately, make a much, much stronger, more powerful website with a big company, start doing movies, shows, and we can make something really big with this. It's a huge opportunity, and I'm eternally grateful to everybody who became members. So if you don't like me, well, maybe you'll like Cassandra Fairbanks. If you don't like her, but you do like me, well, then you see I'm trying to bring in an eclectic group, and it won't just be about whether you like my opinion or not, because we're going to have content for everybody. We want to build culture and do really amazing stuff. So yes, that is coming. And you're supporting the American dream. You're supporting decentralization. You're supporting economic freedom and independence. And you are voting with your dollars. Like This is an amazing opportunity to support. There are no investors. There is no outside funding. I've had people come here and say, so who, who, you know, how does this, how is this funded? And I say, it's just me. Like, Amazing. just you. I'm like, yeah, 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 only me. It's like, the way to do it, it's man. It's American dream. This is, this is what people come here from everywhere around the world to do. Companies become so much more agile and functional when they don't have outside investment, yes. from my experience. I've built companies. I mean, more or less. I've, I've worked with Maker Studios in the early days, and I helped build mines yeah. from the ground up. And not having Tim as agile as he is, it's incredible, the value of this company, just because of the, the solo the solo investment. It's amazing. All right. Tater Nub says, why fantasize about the dystopian future when we could bask in the dystopian present? History books are going to be far better than fiction ever was. That's a good point. Yeah, 1984 was not supposed to be a how-to manual, right? right? Yeah. Hey, but it's fun. And I got to say, I've been a bit more optimistic lately, especially I, I, that, that, that interview we did with Steve Bannon was, I thought that was amazing. Was so He's a very, great. very That's smart worth guy. subscribing to and the website alone to see yes. the after thing with Bannon, man. That was great. And, and let me also say, you know, this, this, on, this online um, retail revolution, ape community and whatnot, also a lot of optimism there because think about how far that's come from Occupy Wall Street 1.0. Instead of just standing in the streets kind of disorganized like, ah, we don't, you know, bad, but we don't know what. They're actually putting their money where their mouth is. They're saying we want to participate in the wealth creation. That is such an optimistic step 
in the right direction and getting more people involved in the wealth creation process. And now we just need more resources and more people to step up and empower them. Right on. Wolfstar says, here is a test, Tim. Will you accept money from someone who who uses is nameless on YouTube? You'll take my money, but won't accept my opinions. How hypocritical because it's nameless people with opinions who support. This is interesting. It's based on uh, 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 this this tweet I made Very where spicy. it was uh, uh, literally a subtweet. But I tweeted, um, <laughs> "Stop responding to people who don't use their name and have and don't use a real avatar, and you'll see political discourse improve." And boy, did this like have a mixed response. A lot of retweets, but a, 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 it was it was a, not the biggest ratio in the world. But I got ratioed on this, and then I had people being like. Uh, one individual made a YouTube video claiming I was telling people to dox themselves and I was having a meltdown over this. Yeah. Meltdown. And I'm like, I got to be honest. I was like, uh, what was I watching? I was watching, I think I was watching Outer Limits. I'm sitting on my couch Probably. and I'm just like, my like drill coming out of my mouth. <laughs> like I was eating an Italian beef sandwich and I'm just like. And then all of a sudden people are like, storming and raging. And I'm like, whatever. I'm not going to apologize. I won't apologize to leftists. I won't apologize to people who want to be, you know, nameless avatars on the Internet. My point was very simply, if I'm going to engage in discourse with somebody, but I'm visibly present with my name behind all of my words, the discourse is typically better when the other individual has the same levels of exposure and risk as you. Because when people don't, they can say a whole lot of crazy things knowing they will never face any repercussions. They have put nothing on the line to make those statements. I understand anonymity is very, very important. I, I did a thread about the founding fathers, which was partially related, but kind of not really. It's because I saw this meme. There's a meme that goes around talking about all the sacrifices made by the founding fathers. We were having a conversation about Juneteenth, so all this stuff's in my mind. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing that I'm against anonymity and I want poor people doxing themselves, which I yeah, Tim, which it goes back to the lack of nuance when you have a limited <laughs> amount of characters and you're just like throwing out a random like idea that you know what's going on in your head. And then people put it out there in a couple characters and like completely read a million things into it. And then, oh, well, you said this, but you didn't say this. And I saw you defended this. Per-. It's like it's just a little blip of a thought. Yeah. And if you if if, if uh, there's people out there, if they they're like, Tim's doubling down on this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I doubled down when I insulted the leftists, too. Like, do you think I when I say never apologize, do you think that means I'll apologize to you? Look. If you got mad about something I said, I don't know, like sometimes we disagree on stuff. But I will say this. Anonymity is fantastic and important. That's why we've had a lot of discussions about an- anonymity versus uh, using your real name. I ob- a- a- obviously know the founding fathers wrote under pseudonyms before, but it was when they used their real names and made those assertions and declared that they would put their lives, their honor, and their families on the line. That was the profound move. But I will make one very important point to those on the right who, for one, Please don't look too deeply into what was a passive subtweet, for one thing. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't apologize for having opinions. Um, I think my, my point is true that if I'm going to have a conversation with someone hiding behind a wall and I don't know who they are or they're wearing a mask, like they have certain advantages over me that's not mm-hmm. same level of risk. Um, but I will mention there are dozens of stories. There was one story not that long ago, uh, September, where a teacher wore a Black Lives Matter mask at work refusing to back down from her ideology and was threatened with losing her job. And she said, I refuse. And they fired her. There was a man at Taco Bell who wore a Black Lives Matter mask. And they said, take it off or else. And he says, never. And then I get people tweeting at me saying, I can't lose my job. And I'm like, that's absolutely fine. And I understand that. And I've stated on the show numerous times, I can respect people who have families and say, it's very hard for me to do. I understand it's much, much easier for me because I don't have kids to make a lot of these moves. I've never uh, hid behind that or claimed it wasn't true. But you need to understand that even though that is true and I respect it, 
The advantage the left has is that they're absolutely willing to sacrifice themselves for their ideology. And many on the right or the anti-critical race theorists, the anti-SJWs and conservatives are less willing to do it. Not completely, but I, it, it seems to be uh, at least a tendency at the very least. Because these people are willing to go out and, and, and perhaps it's interesting because they know they, they have less risk simply by, by, by virtue of their, their institutional infiltrations. But I believe that their institutional infiltrations are built upon the fact that they're willing to not back down. And that gets the media on their side. They get the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. So there's a big challenge in whether or not you should stick your name on everything you say. You probably shouldn't. But there is an important point that I believe that if every single person who opposed wokeness right now at their job said it, it would be over because the polls show it is a microscopic fraction that believes these things. And if every single person said, I will not comply with these policies or I will file an EEOC complaint, it would be over. The challenge is the left is all about collectivism and organization and the right is all about individual liberties, less willing to do it. I think there's this interesting thing and it's part of um, one of the Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Takeaways that I was hoping to, to, to make in the book, The War on Small Business, about decentralization is I think there's a way to be individual and come together. You know, collectivism is for the good of the group. Individuals coming together are people who are like-minded, who are using, you know, their individual, each individual thought, but like they're, they're all coming together to have a little bit more heft. And so I think there's a, a different way to be able to do that. And so for something like wokeness, you know, maybe it's that they're all doing it privately, that, that you get a hundred people who pick up the phone and all call the, the representative yep. privately so that you've made your point known, but you haven't put it out on social media. Whereas we've just talked about, you know, a segment before, we, you don't need your that's not your lane of expertise or it's not your diary you don't need to be on everything but if it's something that's important to you and you don't want to have it broadcast i think there's a way to do that that's not necessarily in the public domain that's still effective here's one of the challenges uh the left has institutional power and many of these younger millennials on the left have much less to lose but when they tweet something like 50 tweets will hit a major corporation saying you're racist for x they can be pictures of bunnies and squirrels and communist squirrels and Che Guevara avatars, but the company fears the left ideology. And so be, even with anonymity in this regard, it could be one person sending all these messages. The company assumes we're under attack. There was a, a joke. I think it was maybe Family Guy. They were like, we received 70 calls last night, which means 7 billion people are upset with us. <laughs> yes. Now, here's the issue. If real people with real names who have their phone numbers or their identification complained. The company does recognize that we're getting hit by actual bad reviews. And so this, these are tactics that the right have, have implemented that have worked, like uh, giving one-star reviews on apps and things like that. But that, that could be an, uh, anonymous as well. So I'll put it this way. If 30 communist squirrels and clown pictures email the company, they are scared of the ideology. But if 30 anti-woke real people emailed, that has equal power. 
if you're using an anonymous account and you're saying I'm right wing or whatever, they disregard it. They're not scared of that. But they are scared of actual people. So you look at what's happening in these schools. These mothers, these fathers, they are standing there, faces shown, names out there. One guy gets arrested refusing to back down. They have put these people these loud in the Lowndes County have put their names on the line to fight for what they believe in. And it's sending it's having a ripple effect across the country, which is very effective. So, yeah. And by the way, that's a place where they should be doing that. That's yes. their kids. That's the thing that they're in charge of. And I think that's the, the point point about picking your battles and really doubling down in those areas that you're passionate about, that you have the most expertise that have, you know, that you have the influence. I mean, those are the battles that should be fought. Not every battle needs to be fought that way. It's tough. You know, um, yeah. strategic retreats make sense. Definitely. Anonymity is super important because you see like the Soviet Union. I mean, they would root people out and execute them, put them in gulags if they if they could figure out who they were. So if you got the mines is an anonymous social network, which is almost sounds like an anomaly or like. A, uh, but basically, you can you can peer you can like peer validate who you are without actually showing who you are by being yeah. like, uh, I like dogs. I like can I like Skittles or whatever. And then they're like, yeah, that's Ian. That's Ian. That's Ian. But you never actually say who you are publicly. That's a form of like anonymous social networking. But Tim, I'm, I'm so down. I'm so into what you're saying about not – what I take is don't argue with faceless masses of people. Don't mm-hmm. argue with people that aren't speaking with their voice. It, if they're writing on a wall and you have to go check on – it's just – it is such a waste of time and energy. And it, personally, it infuriates me to, to go through that. And like you said, they don't have the risk. When you're anonymous, you don't have the risk. You don't have to back up what you say with, with who you are. So you can be a lot more ruthless and like, you can even say stuff you don't believe and there's no repercussions. So I, I do love people claiming that I'm a grifter while I'm simultaneously having people attack me saying they won't support me anymore and there's, and I've become a monster and things like that. You know that. what I thought? Like, I'll, well, just, well, I'll just, I'll apologize. This is very curious to me. I love this. So like, what is the actual grift? Like I'm trying to, cause I'm into really into business models and scalable bit. Like what, like, like what's the grift? By angering my own audience, the <laughs> left who hates me will continue to hate me and I'll just lose money. That's, That's a, a really bad grift. Bad grift. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's have, let's have a, let's have a brainstorming session, a strategic business session. I'm not, da- I have to, uh, look, if I, if I say never apologize, you know, I mean it. What yeah. I what I mean by never apologize is if I genuinely think I did something wrong, I'll apologize. So when I that's when, how I am too. Like if I, I'm sorry, like I'm super sorry, and you're going to hear about it, but it's not very often. I tweeted about Andy No, and then like the next day I looked at the tweet and I was like, that was really crass. Mm. Like I probably could have articulated this better. Twitter sucks, and so I said a couple times like I I, I probably should have exp- expressed myself way better. I was frustrated. I was having this heated conversation. I see this and I got really angry. But you're a human being. You shouldn't be expected to to like communicate perfectly at all points in time. Like who are, again? Who are you apologizing to? Andy. Okay, so you're yeah, apologizing yeah. <laughs> to. Okay, so if it was to it was a him, tweet. if it was to him, I get it. But if it was to like the, you know, like people like make apologies to the Twitterverse. <sighs> like I don't know why you would apologize to the Twitterverse for doing that i think apologizing to the person yeah I get yeah, that. yeah i it, it, i stand by my opinion on it 100 percent that you know andy should be leading the charge and not personally being down in these groups he should be teaching people to do these things i'm not saying it's easy but uh i could articulate that better so like that like ni- like a ninja academy because that's like a better a better business model well like right wing watch but for regular people who don't like extremists like antifa you know what i mean or or like the aclu maybe before they lost their way but when it comes to like me saying you have better political discourse with people who have you know their names and their and 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 everything, I mean, uh, I think that's just true. 
And, and it's not because every single person who is using an avatar or, or a fake name or a username is a bad person. It's because there are a lot of people trolling. And it's because when I'm looking through, you know, my tweets and my, and my responses, and I, 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 I respond to people every so often, it's, 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 it's pulling, a, it's, you're, you're trying to pull a name out of a hat and hope you're getting that honest person out of a group of people who have communist squirrel accounts that are just yeah, lying. Yeah, that, that's faith. such a huge thing for me too, is that like, I'll have any discussion except for ones that are in bad faith. Mm-hmm. And but also should, on Twitter because I just don't think it's a good forum for it. But but in terms of like actually like kind of getting into things, like if you're coming at something in bad faith, like there's just no point. It's hard to know for sure. But we should definitely get to super chats because I don't want to um, miss <laughs> of people. anonymous yeah, right, yeah. people. <laughs> speak up. What's up, dudes? <laughs> well, so that yeah, so so this is the, people are saying you know that was that was kind of the point. Like oh, you'll read an anonymous super chat, but not. respond to someone on on Twitter. Not argue in text. Don't waste your energy arguing in text if you don't have to. Yeah, and and I'm going to try... Look, I'm going to read this one right here. Channel 404 says, Tim, you are truly no better than the corporate media peddling fear and despair and drooling at every mention of war. Shame on you. Oh. Okay. Like, I'll take all the criticism and I'll read it. And I'm just saying, like, I'm not going to get dragged on Twitter by the communist squirrel anymore. You know what I mean? It could be me for all you know. Don't, don't <laughs> bite. Right. Ian sitting there like, <laughs> oh, you know. But, I mean, to be fair, the communist squirrel, like, they don't have a choice. If they stand up against it, then they're squirrel no more. So, I, I mean, I kind of give this commu- know, the communist squirrel a pass, you know? I, I absolutely think writing under a pseudonym and anonymous pa- publishing like the founding mm-hmm. fathers, it is, is great. Ben I'm just Franklin saying, did that. I'm not going to No, I mean, I mean the actual communist squirrel. Like, he doesn't want to be a communist. Or a squirrel. Oh. Well, maybe. I yeah. don't know. No, right, he's just right, a cute right. squirrel, but now the communists have him, and so he can't speak out. I'm just, they're I'm actually, just saying, they're give actually him a break. a communist squirrel account. It's really good. <laughs> ben anyway. Franklin did Poor Richard's Almanac. Are you guys familiar with Poor Richard's yeah, Almanac? Yeah, yeah. yeah, for like 40 years he was writing yeah. under a pen name because it was yeah, too course. dangerous, I think, to speak and up. Alice, he was like seeding the anti-British propaganda for like 30 years. And Alice in Wonderland was considered to be like subversive allegory because you would be in trouble, and I, I, I get all that. Uh, I'm just saying I am not going to uh, – or I, I'm going to say I have better co- – I didn't even say I don't. just like squirrels, I said I have Tim. better discourse. I just like squirrels. That's just at the end of the day. Really? I love them. I like squirrels. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there, guys. If you're a squirrel, <laughs> I like you. you. All right. The Civic National says Britain has been the underdog throughout history. Many have tried. Few have succeeded. Let them come. Our spirit will never break. Have you said Thucydides' trap, Brexit was a success – Britannia will return to her former glory. God save the queen. The civic nationalist, I'm a big fan. I love your, your, uh, enthusiasm and support for your country. And I, I really do love the civic nationalist, uh, super chats about, like, the difference in perspective between the American Revolution that we've, we've had this conversation. So I, when we talk about the UK and, and we're even a bit dismissive, I, I respect your, happy 4th of July. Absolutely. <laughs> Downey Jr. says HMS Defender is part of the carrier strike group CSG21 which is on tour and heading to South China Sea. Give it a Google. Wow. Boris Johnson wants UK to be the best naval power in the EU again. Also, Russia always entering UK waters. Amazing. Good for him. Hmm. All right. Ted 2 says, Tim, your take on the Crimea exchange sounds a lot like supporting a modern day Tonkin Gulf incident. I implore you to pause, reassess, and look into the details further. I don't think your assessment was accurate. Um, I'm not sure which specifically about my assessment you're referring to, but... I'm not an advocate for, for any war or conflict. I'm, I, I, we're seeing Russia make claims. Or maybe it's my assessment that I'm saying um, the UK is saying Russia never fi- fired a warning shot. I don't believe the UK in this regard. I think Russia has no reason not to fire a warning shot. Like if Russia said they fired a warning shot, they could easily just go, pow, it's a warning shot. you know. And, the, and a BBC journalist said they heard shots fired. But the UK says it was a training drill or something. So, yeah. Justin Dubay says you should try and get immortal technique on the show. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's see what we got. Liz Scars says, a special guy in my life is going through a tough medical ordeal. I would really appreciate lots of healing wishes for Mike, Jules, and Chula. It's going to be a long summer, but we're fighting this with you. We love you, Mike. Yeah. Shout out, Yeah, lots of prayers. Tyler Klovic says, what if the HMS destroyer story is a distraction for the U.S. conflict where McAfee didn't kill himself? Man, they got mad at me for saying it's it's so weird. The mainstream media is like, how dare you claim that a guy who said he would never end his own life, ending his own life is a conspiracy. They got mad at me about that. I'm like, here's a question I have. And I, I honestly don't know the answer to this. Are there photos? Like, do we know that he's actually dead? No, that was my question. Did <laughs> yeah. he fake his death? So like, not to like take the conspiracy <laughs> theory, like what's up, but like, yeah. like is, is, do we have a confirmation on this? Yeah, I don't know. I, haven't I don't seen know. It. I mean, Where's the picture? Do it, I mean, like, I don't know that he's, I mean, this is just what's been reported, right? All right. So we got, we got, uh, two comments here. Um, Balthazad says, I'm a trucker in the Northwest. There is a shortage of drivers here. Have a good job paying $30 an hour, but switching to tanker because it's two times current pay. Wow. Oh, wow. Mm. And the Lone Raptor says, I work for the biggest freight company in the Southeast, and I can confirm that there is a trucker shortage as well as a freight handler shortage in our company. Too much freight, not enough workers. Huh. Wow. Yep. It's like right on the verge of automation. Uh, another comment saying uh, uh, from Tim Miners, I'm a trucker in California. There is a driver shortage, especially in fuel. I'm about to get a job hauling fuel since it pays 6 to $7 an hour more than what I make now, plus yes. lots of yeah. hours. Companies get that money. Get that cash. Yes. I love it. it. Thank you like for, the, yeah. for the super that. Yeah. The market is healing. Oh, yes. Yeah. That the, is the market nature. has I said we pay more, but gas prices are going to go up. And then everything else is going to go but again, up. But again, remember that the only reason there was this shortage is because the government disrupted the market and yeah. created the situation that disclosed people to begin with. So this is this is not the market deciding this needed to happen. This is the aft coming out of the after effect of interference. All right. We got uh, travel by day says I got a weird call from the Air Force the other day. They said they were going over old applications. They asked if I was still interested. I applied in 2008. Wow, that's strange. <laughs> wow. All right. How do we know it was the Air Force and like not one of those like spam calls? Because yeah, I'm getting yeah. all kinds this of weird stuff the Air too. Force. Yeah. You, did, have you got, did you ever get those calls where you answer and it's just a recording of someone speaking Mandarin? No. No, I always uh, get a woman with no. this really annoying voice. I don't know why they always have. It's like your warranty has expired. It's like, do you really <laughs> think that friend. that's going to get me to call you back? Like, come on, take the pitch down a little bit, lady. Jeez, yeah. What's up? All right. Rowan Thar says, Carol was absolutely right on so many parts of the U.S. wanting to hire but not being able to get workers. I just moved to a rural area for AG work, and I am working six days a week, and employers want more. Wow. I, I w- I'll, I'll mention, too, I think we have a couple uh, – we, we've, we've, we've had like a couple thousand requests for work to work here. Yeah. So I certainly think that passion is a driving factor and – that's why I kind of feel like there's some truth to people want a fulfilling job. They don't want to just jump back into the labor market with something they're going to be unhappy with. They want to take the time to find something, you know. Which, by the way, I want to say this is an important point is that is capitalism as well. The fact that we have the privilege, there are people across the world who can barely support themselves, let alone choose how to support themselves, let alone do so by pursuing a passion, the fact that you can make those choices, the freedom and choice, that is capitalism. It's not always about the dollar things. It's about having that freedom and choice. Yeah. So so good for people who say, you know, I'm not driven just by a, a dollar freedom and choice. I want a passion freedom and choice. All right. Let's see. 
Where was I? Where was I at? I just lost the. Oh, okay. Bobby Bob says, "What is the best argument for and against fifteen dollars, and what would happen if it's passed?" Okay, so I'm, I'm assuming that's directed at me. Um, I am against any sort of interference in the market at all, and particularly putting it um, on a national basis where you've got you know every single person in every age group in every place from Arkansas to New York having the same thing. If you do this on an artificial basis and you kind of go up the chain, what's going to end up happening is you're going to keep more people who are young and low-skilled out of the workforce. You're going to end up driving up the cost because it's not just that person whose wage, that unskilled laborer whose whose wages increase, but the person above them then wants an appropriate increase. The person above them wants the appropriate increase. Suppliers and vendors are all dealing with the same thing. You're going to end up paying $23 for a slice of pizza or the place is going to shut down and the person who's now making $15 an hour is not going to have any more spending power. And then they're so, going to say $25. Gonna, right. So 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 you you cannot you cannot do that. Let people your work your choice. Let people make those decisions. We're seeing it now. There's 9.3 million jobs that need to be filled. We don't need to artificially continue to increase the wage. There is no good argument that the as Thomas Owl said, the actual minimum wage is zero and if I have a tweet on this if you want to go um, at Carol J.S. Roth and minimum wage, the minimum wage is history. I also talk about this in the book is is actually keeping immigrants and women and people of color out of the workforce. Like that's the point of it is to keep people out of the workforce. Wow. It, it has the same effect today. All right. So I did see one chat where someone said that we should have Carl Benjamin on the show. And yes, anytime. If, if anybody yeah. has an open invite, it's of course, Carl Benjamin of, Benjamin of the Locust Eaters podcast. And of course, Count Dankula. But they're across the pond. And there's a bunch of travel restrictions. But the moment they have an opportunity, not, not only that, but I say this of anybody, be it someone on the left or the right, when they host their own show, it's hard to ask someone to stop doing their show to do my show because it's kind of like a favor. It's not like we pay people. But, uh, Carl, man, we love you. We'd love to have you on the show whenever you have it's, any availability. It's lotus Eaters, right? You yeah. said locust. It's oh, not I like you said lo- eating lotus bugs, eaters. dude. It's on the brain. <laughs> <Eaters. laughs> it is. It's okay. It is. No. Uh, Joshua Ryman says, Ian, I love you. Thank you, I Josh. feel like now, instead of being the devil's advocate, you serve a greater purpose being yourself. Keep being you. Dude, oh. we have an opportunity to help a lot of people. And it's just, if it's anything but bringing, bringing people to see like this, this, this crappy, uh, you know, don't buy houses, manipulation stuff to bringing amazing people in to talk about their expertise. Tell me, Tim. I, I just need to uh, be honest with, with everybody and tell them the, the real reason we started this podcast. It was because not enough people knew about graphene. We're about to, though, and I have it right here. Thanks for bringing <laughs> it up. Are you familiar with it? I am not. It's, it's <laughs> monolayered carbon, uh, hexagonally cool. latticed, and it's got incredible mechanical it, properties. It's electrically conductive, super capacitive. <laughs> Amazing. It's like a semiconductor. It's going to be a 21st century industry. <laughs> Ian, Ian's talk of graphene got me to literally invest. I bought stock in a company that produces Ooh. graphene because Ian wouldn't stop talking about it. And I'm like, I'm just going to, so I have stock in it, but I, how's, I was just, it, how's it doing? Really well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2028, 20, 29, we're going to see mass inflection just, of graphene. Just hearing like, uh, the so next meme we, stock is graphene. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. like, you know, I, 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 I agree. It's a wonderful material, but when Steve Bannon's here talking about the economy and then Ian went into like, we need to get American manufacturing of graphene. I laughed. I bust out laughing, but Steve Bannon was like, yeah, like <laughs> we should be manufacturing new materials and, and becoming the hub for this. But it was just like, it, it was, the, it was the, it was the greatest moment of the graphene <laughs> argument. I love him. Yeah, he's so uh, open-minded. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this one. Um, it's drama-y, but oh, LMV says, "Hi Tim and team, did you see the video the quartering made saying you had a meltdown? 
I watched it. He's all over the place. Looks like clout chasing to me and maybe a little grudge over that scheduling issue a few months ago. I'll be honest. Um, I'm not, I, I, I get drama videos made about me all the time by, by people on the left. There are people on the right. I guess there's like some weird, you know, Nazi meme about me because I don't know, whatever, but it happens all the time. I was just kind of like, I, it was one tweet. It was like, I, I tweeted like, this is like two like it was like a tweet and then like I, I did like three responses to it i don't understand why that's a meltdown meltdown or like how it was advocating that people dox themselves Drama. so i just meltdown. tweeted i tweeted at him like okay kathy newman like meltdown. so so you're saying you know so you're saying sure or whatever is. and i'm like dude i don't know i didn't i i people can make videos about whatever they want i'm i it's the, the weirdest thing to me is people are like tim's so egotistical and arrogant and i'm like i do say i am but i'm also willing to accept that people make fun of me all of the time they called me a bald cuck they make videos saying i'm having a meltdown they're allowed to do it i respect their right to do it and i'm an adult and i just say all right you know but i, I will say um it, it 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 brings up an interesting conversation, and I'm inter- interested to hear what people think. And you know, so whatever. Yeah. So uh, it, Jeremy's allowed to not like me. He's like he's highlighting uh, what basically what we've been talking about that there's the value to anonymity, but there's also it, it's hard to communicate through text with with anonymized sort. I mean, that's also very difficult. I think that discussion with you and Jeremy would be a very interesting one to watch. I am just annoyed that they've devalued all these things like meltdown and owned because like every time I click on something, it just doesn't get the payoff. And I just feel like if you're going to say somebody's having a meltdown or they were owned, like it's got to be really good. Like the bar is really high. We're, we're in 2021 now here, people. So step up your meltdown games. Okay. I think I, uh, you know, what really bums me out is, um, I was talking to another prominent personality over this. And they were like, look, like, you shouldn't get wrapped up in this. You got to stay focused. And I'm like, I am. You know, like, I tweet at people. I get into, like, troll wars and stuff. And people get all worked up about it. I don't care. But I, I will say one of the most demoralizing things is that there are a lot of prominent personalities who have an opportunity to lead. And I get frustrated when they don't. And people get mad at me because, cause like, you know, in, in the conversation I had with Bannon, I was mentioning, like, we're, we're trying to build all of this stuff. Timcast.com, we're trying to hire people and make journalism happen. And I don't understand why so many other people don't do the same thing. Because I know how much money some of these people make. Very prominent personalities on Twitter and on YouTube who are making... Mentoring opportunities, uplifting opportunities, abundance mentality, help bring, empower other people. This is exactly the conversation we've been having. But they just buy like material things for themselves. And they're allowed to. I'm not dragging people for wanting stuff. I'm just saying... I wish that we had a little bit of the ideological fervor in regards to classical liberalism, freedom, and even conservatism, and uh, like traditional liberalism, as the leftists have for wokeness. Like their zeal and their passion and their fearlessness and their rage exists in much smaller quantities in the anti-establishment, anti-woke, and conservative space. Yeah, I'm obsessed. I mean, I'm 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 fire in this realm. I I think this is why decentralizing social media and like the Fediverse, uh, the future of interconnected. Decentralizing, decentralizing the, the the economic system with cryptocurrency, decentralizing obviously small business. The, the, the military, small businesses. Yep. It's so important, and you want to get people excited about it. You know, this is I went to school for acting. This is why because this stuff's boring as hell, but you want to make people excited about it. 
Yeah, coding, no. development. Well, and the crazy thing is, like, you don't have to forego the Ferrari to make the investment. It's just delayed gratification because if you uplift more people and you're sitting on top of that, then you end up making more money. They end up making more money, and you can buy two Ferraris down the road. So this is this isn't like an either or choice. There's so many opportunities, and it just kills me. And I don't know if people don't have the conviction to do it. I don't know if people don't have the knowledge, or I don't know if people don't want other people to know that the opportunity is available to everyone, that it's an ego thing. Say, like, I'm special. I've somehow, like, figured out this special sauce, and you can't, instead of going, like, no, pretty much everyone can figure this out. I will, I will say, in, in Jeremy's defense, it's actually um, Casey Neistat, one of the, like, you know, godfathers of YouTube in terms of vlogging, especially. People asked him about clickbait, and he said, the reality of YouTube, I'm paraphrasing, is that either you find something that will convince people to click and watch, or you fizzle out and disappear and YouTube doesn't promote you or support you and then you get no traffic. So he was like, it's the, it's the conundrum of YouTube. You, you're, you're upset that you're using certain titles or saying things certain ways. But then the alternative is just not existing at all on the platform because it really is about drama and catching people's attention and things like that. But I will address one non-super chat from Mr. Obvious who said, I don't make enough to buy a fancy outpost him. We aren't all rich through grifting. And so this is another thing that I tweeted. People say that it's easy for you to say these things, Tim. You have all this money and you can do all these things. My response is, I am not, I am not only calling out the establishment because I, establishment because I'm successful. I am successful because I am calling out the establishment. Yeah, dude. I, I got, I, I had a contract with, I'm going to publicly state this. It was on the members only thing, but I'll publicly state this right now because it's been a long time. I was given a check for $200,000, just about, by ABC News Univision as a sign-on bonus. We want you to start the company here and we will, they, they, here's the check. Literally that day, I was staring at it and they said, sign up with us. And they gave me $250,000 a year salary plus a massive budget, which account amounted for to millions of dollars in terms of being able to produce and do all these things. And I tried breaking that contract and walking away from it. So people say like, it's easy for you to say, Tim, you have all this money. But my whole life, like even when I was broke and homeless, I filed a lawsuit against a company I worked for for violations of law, 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 uh, labor laws and things like that. And that made me unemployed for months, unable to move because of ongoing litigation and on and off homeless. So I, what, what I mean to say is if you're unwilling to take risks, I'm not saying you have to, but no risk, no reward. For someone like me, it's not the fact that I'm successful that gives me the opportunity to do it. It's that by by refusing to bend the knee to ABC and all the money they offered me, and I've told the story about one day I wake up and they give me an extra $40,000, just boom, in my bank account, play ball. That's what it felt like they were saying to me. And I still said no. Hmm. And then I leave and I start my own thing. And my obstinance and a bit my arrogance and my unwillingness to bend the knee to these corporations leads me down that path of constantly building and fighting and doing what I believe in. I understand not everybody can do that. And I understand a lot of people think it's arrogant and egotistical of me and I'm bragging and all that stuff. I don't know how else to say it. My, my point to most people is if you believe in yourself and you take the risks, you very well may fail or you very well may find that on the other side of the fire is freedom. And let me just ask you this. Do you believe other people could do the same thing? I believe everyone could. There you go. And that's the point is that Anybody, if you want it, risk and reward, like you said, if you want to, to take the risk, you have that opportunity and you may, not everybody may succeed, but you'll have that potential to succeed. And, and having the abundance mentality lifts all the boats. Skydiving. It's really scary to take that leap out of that plane. Yeah, I don't do that. And they, they, <laughs> they make people go tandem first, right? And people do die skydiving. I know a guy that did. Rock climbing. 
it's very, very scary to be, you know, 500 feet up with these, you know, the, the secu- spikes securing your position. And a lot of people do it and some people fall. And then there are these people, and this is the craziest to me. You see these videos of these Russian guys who are like standing on the edge of a, of a hundred story building, like, you know, and then they hang from one arm and they're laughing. I don't know what the reward is for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Click. I'm not sure. risk. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a risk-adjusted return kind of gal. None of those things are produced yeah, in the nah. return for me. If they do for you, <laughs> God bless you. But that's where that risk, personal risk-reward uh, evaluation has to come into play. So I, I just, uh, um, you know, my, my view is when you take a risk and you throw yourself out there and you challenge the system, it is, a, it is very possible that you end up, you know, living in a van down by the river or maybe you don't even have a van. But I suppose if you're, uh, if you're not willing to take those risks, I will. you, you know what I'll do? I'll do a Star Trek reference. I love the next generation, by the way. We always start Trek reference here. Picard uh, has a fake heart. Captain Picard in the next generation, he has a fake heart because he got stabbed in the back because he got into a bar fight. And he wishes he didn't do it. He was so impertinent in his youth. And so Q, this powerful, omnipotent entity, sends him back in time to change his circumstances. And Picard decides to use his opportunity to stop the fight and save his heart. And then when he returns to the future, he, he he's no longer a captain. He is a low-ranking mm. lieutenant science officer. And when he goes to Commander Riker and says, do you think I have what it takes to be in command? Riker says, let me be honest with you, Mr. Picard. You have never stuck your neck out or taken the risks required to show the initiative to be in command. So no, it is not realistic. Wow. And then Picard says, enough, Q, you've made your point. That impertinence in his youth and that, that arrogance and that risk-taking led him to be one of the greatest captains of all time in Star Trek history. Right. There you go, Star Trek. I, I love that. I also just say, you know, over the course of my career, when people say what is sort of the number one thing that you would tell yourself in terms of going back in time, advice to stuff, and it is take more risk, especially when you're young and you don't have things to lose. Yeah. Like you don't realize, like it takes almost the same effort to think small as it does to think big. The the economist says Jeremy said several times he respects and likes you and your grind. Also, going bald young means you have high testosterone. <laughs> Breaks my mind with Stelter. Um, look, like I like Jeremy. I think his videos are great. I think he covers good topics. I like his opinions, and we disagree on things. And when I tweet at him calling him Kathy, I'm laughing, and I'm 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 hope it's frustrating him tr- getting trolled, and uh, I hope he assumes I'm laughing too. I think jeremy will end up back on the show and i think so long I, i'm i just think it's funny i think we all have thicker skin on like whatever this side is of the culture war and uh i just find it fun and funny and and these are these are good ideas to work out and good arguments to have so jeremy's always welcome back um we had, we had a scheduling issue that happened last time and it was really frustrating for me and you know uh i apologize to to, to jeremy over all you know everything that happened these things happen but uh i got no beef i think jeremy's great uh, I'm I'm glad he's willing to 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 smack talk, uh, absolutely. Because yeah. if the right was full of people who were unwilling to to be mean to each other and they couldn't be adults about it, and move on, it would be as bad as the left. You know what I mean? He's smart too. I like that's what's nice about his trolling is it's perceptive. I love you, Jeremy. All right, I love let's you. let's see. Uh, let's we'll we'll just do one more. We, we've we've gone a bit long. Um, Phoebe Manser says, "Thank you, Carol, for validating every reason I based developing my new business, ShopEveryTown.com. Thanks to Tim and team." All wait, right, wait, well. so wait, so is that shopeverytown.com? 
shopeverytown.com. I'm going to check it out. Thank right you. Right on. Yeah. My friends, thank you all so much for hanging out, for super chatting, for smashing that like button. And be, being members at timcast.com, sign up. There's going to be a bonus segment coming up. should be up around 11 or so p.m. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I know, I know, Facebook, meh. But we're hoping to leverage that network to guide people to timcast.com. So we're on Facebook and Instagram at timcastirl. By sharing our videos, it just it's the marketing power it's how we compete with the establishment, and uh, it works really, really well for the Daily Wire and Ben Shapiro, and they're growing like crazy, and I'm happy to hear it. You can also follow me personally at TimCast, and give us a good review and all that stuff, TimCast.com, like button. You want to shout anything out, perhaps a book, your social media? All right, so I've, I've been promoting myself this whole time, so I'm going to let you promote the book. The War on Small Business, How the Government Used the Pandemic to Crush the Backbone of America by Carol Roth, a New York Times bestselling author. I strongly suggest you read this because one of the biggest uh, subjects on this show is how we saw the largest transfer of wealth from the working class to the oligarchs. And we need to understand how it's happening, why it's happening, what they're doing. And knowledge is power, my friends. If we're going to combat this centralization of power and authoritarianism, you need to read books like this. Get it to number one on Amazon. And what was the other website you mentioned? And bookshop.org. Bookshop, bookshop.org. Yeah. So that way other people will see it. Other people will read it and they'll share it with their friends. And these ideas will prevail. Yes. And I'm also on Twitter at Carol J.S. Roth. As I tell people, I'm sort of a luxury brand. Um, I'm well curated, kind of popular, but definitely not for everyone. <laughs> oh, I like how you put that. <laughs> Thanks for coming, man. And thank you so much for investigating this and writing this. Thank you. Uh, you guys can follow me at iancrossland.net and at Ian Crossland along all lines of social media. You can also follow the show on Minds, which I want to shout out a little bit more because I love that decentralized uh, aspect of social media that Minds has been working on with the Nomad system and other other things. And uh, follow me there as well. Thanks. All right. And you guys, I've really been thinking about the topic of grifting because we see it thrown around so much. And I came up with a definition because I love my definitions. The definition of grifting is something done in bad faith for money or clout. And as far as you, as far as I can tell, based on everything I know about Tim and our company here, that is the antithesis of what we do. Mm. You guys are welcome to follow me at Sour Patch Lids on Twitter as I try to get more followers than Sour Patch Kids. You know, I'll, I'll add one last thing. There are a lot of people who, for some reason, it's the weirdest thing to me. There have been some leftists who haven't made it to this show, but wanted to, but then canceled. And there are people saying, like, Tim is scared to have leftists on the show. We're, we're, we're organizing uh, to have Vosh on the show. I really enjoyed the, the conversation and the debate. Uh, we have we have we have two other leftists who I want to have on the show, and people in the chat are mentioning Mr. Obvious, and I guess some people are are saying that like I'm angry about his comments or he's trolled me or something like that. No, I got no beef. I uh, I, I don't know uh, his circumstances, but we would absolutely have. We'll look into it because uh, some people have mentioned anonymity. So if that's not possible, it's not possible. But people are like have him on the show. It's like all right, well, uh, Mr. Obvious, send us an email. Uh, Send me an email. Send what? Spin the UFO. You, you, yep, you so check on that one? Yep. And then we'll try and figure out what's up. And then for everybody else, we will see you over at TimCast.com for the bonus segment. Thanks for hanging out. Bye, guys.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.